0: the power of their data with Sabi, another Boston based championship team.
1: The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24 7 non stop destination for A's baseball. Go to slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Marshall, Twenty nine other MLB clubs. Two two pitch on Trout and he blasts
0: one way back. Go for Cody Bellinger. It's one out. He's on.
2: So he's your home run derby champion.
1: Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: I can't tell you how excited I am for today's show. Today is a historic day in baseball history. And we've got a lineup of lineups. Paul Himbikides, the famous Himbo from ESPN, will be here at One of the greatest broadcasters of all time. If you have a Mount Rushmore of broadcasters, this guy is on it. The great Bob Costas is going to be on at 2 o'clock today. Dave O'Brien, the TV face and voice of the Boston Red Sox, will be here at 2.30. Then we will have Oakland A's Sean Mania at 3 o'clock. And then at 3.30, still an ace favorite, and will always be Sean Doolittle at 3.30. Is that any good? Pimbo, Costas, O'Brien, Mania, and Doolittle. That's what we bring, Commander Cody. Happy Monday, boy! It's like you're, it's like you came out today, went four for four with two jacks with this lineup.
3: Uh, I'm putting myself in the Hall of Fame with that with those those four for four numbers. You're also forgetting why today is so special for someone like a nerd like me. It's May the Fourth, or May the Fourth be with you. As uh, after this show, I will marathon watching Star Wars until we. So we watch some baseball later. So uh, it's a big day for me with Star Wars and baseball. So I can't wait.
2: Wait, wait, wait! wait, wait. There's a Star Wars marathon going on. Where's that?
3: So if you have Disney Plus, which I'm sure you do, because I'm sure the twins like to watch uh, Frozen and everything. They uh, just released. No. They just right. released the Rise of Skywalker, the ninth film for Star Wars, ninth in the chapter that we're going through now. There's other offsetting films like Rogue One and Solo. But the the night film is now out, and May the Fourth is is known as Star Wars Day. Tomorrow is Revenge of the Fifth, if you believe in that, playoff of Revenge of the Sith. So, uh, you know, I went, I went, saw the last Skywalker, the Rise of Skywalker. Nerd alert! Nerd alert! I went saw it the first night it came out by myself, and uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to give another shot. It's been a couple months. I'll watch it and see if I like it. Dina, my fiance, has not seen it. She's seen all the other ones, so we're looking forward to it. And then baseball. So it's a pretty big day here in the, well, we, we're not married, so we can't see the Elias household. So the Elias apartment.
2: I saw the first three, and the only other one that I've seen is Solo. And I saw it on a plane uh, coming back from wherever the heck I was with the Raiders. I liked it. I like Solo, but I, I have not watched the all the other stuff. I, I was Star just... Wars changed me. You take my guy Han Solo out, I'm not in. He's an inter, intergalactic pimp. He's the man in the Millennium Falcon. You take him out, I, I as Arnold used to say, I'm out.
3: <laughs> uh, he's overrated. We've been through this at the Coliseum. We had this argument. I think he's the most overrated There's character no in the Star Wars universe.
2: He's the greatest character of Star Wars is Han Solo. They didn't make a. They didn't make a a a, a movie about anybody else. Not yet. Nobody. Oh yeah. Ever since not Disney yet. Not millions. yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Princess Leia story. By the way, today is so crucial for for us. South Korea starts playing baseball today. 10 p.m. Pacific, tonight, on ESPN, it's going to be the NC Dinos against the Samsung Lions. The KBO is getting started. That's baseball in South Korea. They are the first major professional sports league to return to action. The games will be on ESPN. They're going to televise six games a week. There's going to be some games, I guess Cody what, on ESPN2 also.
3: Yeah, it looks like a lot of some of the games are going to be on ESPN. So Tuesday through Sunday, they're going to so six days a week they're going to televise games from the KBO. And uh it's going to be on ESPN. I think the first game's on ESPN tonight, I think then the rest are on ESPN2 or sprinkled through without, but it's uh it's exciting cuz we're going to televise baseball and the if someone
2: gets tested positive for covid-19 they will shut down for 3 weeks they're expecting to play 144 games play into november these guys are setting the template because after this japan's going to open And then they're going to play. And then after that, you're going to have NASCAR going. You're going to have the PGA Tour going. And why I think that is all so important for baseball. You've heard me talk about this for years. Baseball is very conservative. They need other people to do things before they do it. So if it works in South Korea and it works in Japan, then – because that's been the one thing. Do do any of these sports leagues really want to be the first, especially in the United States? And then you know who's watching all this? The National Football League. The NFL is crossing its fingers and saying, please, all of this work. Because that may be the hardest sport to get going once again. Training camp, preseason. And you think about their television contracts. Football doesn't make up. F- f- the money that they get for tickets, the money that they get for sweets, that's just icing on the cake. The cake is the television contracts. Not as much in baseball. You know, baseball doesn't make the kind of TV money that the NFL makes. The NFL is about television. It's about putting games on Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, then Thursday night. So everybody is just crossing their fingers and hoping this works. South Korea was very quick with testing. Coaches are going to wear masks. There's going to be no spitting, no high fives. Umpires are going to wear masks and gloves. Everybody's temperature is going to get checked before they go in the stadium. So we're going to see. Matt Williams is over there managing. Dan, the K Man Straley, is pitching. Who else is over there, Cody? Aaron but, Brooks is now over in South Korea.
3: Yeah, and Raúl Alcantara, Alcantara, are over there. Uh, Matt Williams, the manager of the Kia Tigers. Yes, Kia, like the car, the Kia Tigers. Matt Williams. Now that's an interesting one because I've been thinking about this over the weekend. Now, Big it's. Marine. I think it's like, f- what five a.m. Let's see. I think it's like five a.m. in Korea right now. Uh, I want to I want to try to get Matt Williams on the program. Yeah, it's five oh nine a.m. Tuesday. In Korea, so we gotta wait a few hours, but maybe we'll we'll see if Matt Williams wants to come on and talk about this. I mean, you know, we've had him on; he's a friend of the program, and you know Dan, the K Man Straley, because I told the story of how I waited up till 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to add him in fantasy baseball after he had that incredible run in the minor leagues. How'd that uh, work out? Well, uh, I mean, he got some strikeouts here and there. He only gave up like 20 home runs with the Orioles last year. That was what, by the way. I, I thought about this when I was going through the Red Sox projections when I was doing the research on them. We forgot to ask Rick Dempsey about the Orioles giving up the most home runs in the history of baseball. <laughs> and it made me think of Dan Straley because now he's pitching over in Korea. And, you know, it's interesting. I think he's over there by himself without his, his wife and kid. Um, I think they, they're they still stateside from the article I read a few weeks ago on ESPN. Um, I'm rooting for him. I liked him. You know, he had a good year with the Reds and, the, you know, he we went, went to the Marlins and, you know, the bad year with the Orioles. But we got some guys, former A's that are over there. Like you mentioned, Aaron Brooks and Raul Alcantara Alcantar are, are all over there playing in Korea.
2: I was just watching the Big Marine on television yesterday as MLB Network, and I watched a little Bob Costas with Tom Verducci, friend of the program, and Joe Torre and Tim McCarver recapping Game 7, 2001, D-backs against the Yankees, where a much younger-looking Bob Melvin in the dugout as the bench coach. And you got Kurt Schilling up against Roger Clemens. I mean, that was an epic World Series, 2001. Mark Grace gets the base hit. The Yankees are down. I mean, the the D-backs are down in the bottom of the ninth. Grace gets the hit. They pinch run for him. Next thing you know, they tie the game. Then they win the game. Luis Gonzalez. Steroids. Hits the game winner off Mariano Rivera. And uh, the rest is history. And Matt Williams finally wins a World Series. So if we can get Matt on, a lot to talk about with him. As uh, he was big for the athletics. It was great to see him in the green and gold. But what a player Matt Williams was. He was a uh, he was a terrific player.
3: That 94 season, he was unbelievable before the strike happened. Could have, they were saying he could have broke the home run record. He could have broke the home run record and Tony
2: Gwynn could have hit 400. Tony Gwynn was ascending. He wasn't going down like George Brett got there, and then George always said his biggest problem was he started trying to hit four hundred in nineteen eighty, and that's what did him in. Gwynn was up to three ninety four and he was hot. So could Matt Williams have broke the home run record, and then could Gwynn have hit four hundred?
3: And could the Expos have won the World Series that year? Because remember how good they were. Going into the strike in August. Matt Williams had 43 home runs before the season uh, was essentially – the season was ended. So, what the record back then was Roger Maris. So, he was essentially less than 20 away from breaking the record. He probably could have done it. And the Expos could have won the World Series. Then, do they ever leave? Do the Expos ever happen – or do the Nationals ever happen? So many things could have happened if that season would have stayed through. Okay. Do we have an update on how the A's are doing in 2020? We do.
2: Coming up next, Baseball Reference has been doing a simulated season. Where are the A's in 2020? You're going to find out next right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
2: All right, last week... I think I did really well against Himbo. All Himba the producer for Get Up on ESPN, top researcher for ESPN, also on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. So Hembo has been coming up. He kind of got me with the 70s teams. What did we have last week where I did real well against him?
3: Oh, I'm trying to remember what we what what we did it on now.
2: I think I was like four for five.
3: Yeah. Oh, what did we do it on? Let me see if I can find the emails that him and I exchanged. What uh, What
2: are we doing today?
3: The 2012 Oakland Athletics. Ooh, we got 2012
2: trivia. Now I lived through that. I did every one of those games except a handful. I did probably in 2012. I probably did like 150. I mean, I basically did every game. That was one of those years where I, I don't. I, I'd only take Sunday off. I did a lot of those games. That was really. That was 2012. Is one of my favorite years of my career. I'll never forget my late mother saying going to Japan will be your reward for a really long season. Because if anybody remembers 2012, the A's were projected to be garbage. They were not, like, I say it, go look at the lineups in Japan and then go look at the lineups against Detroit. Billy Bean and David Forst basically rebuilt the team during the season. It's a completely different team. And it was truly, I remember doing the post-game show, constantly saying, just reel the Rangers in. Because they had those final four games at, uh, was it three or four? I think it was four. Final four games against the Rangers at home. Just keep reeling them in. And the Rangers started losing. And the A's were winning. And it went from 13 to 10 to 7 down to, you know, down to the A's. When, the A's won the division, and they never led. They never led the division in 162 games. They never won it because they they didn't win the division or lead the division until that very final out. Season was over. So they never played a game where they led the division. That's never happened in the history of baseball. We'll talk to Sean Doolittle about that because Sean started his career in 2012. I was his first ever radio interview. When he got brought up, he talked to the writers, and then I grabbed him, brought him over in the clubhouse, and did an interview with him. I've watched him grow up. He's a hell of a guy. But Himbo's going to be here at 1:30, and don't forget, the Hall of Famer, and truly one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, Bob Costas is going to join us at two. And I think we're I think we're gonna we're gonna get my guy, Brent Musburger, on Wednesday, as these guys were all part of the 1989 ALCS broadcast, which was uh a lot of big names here. It's funny. Like, look at Fred McGriff's playing first base. <laughs>
3: that blew my mind. Yeah. I, looked, I was looking at I was like, is that the crime dog? And I was like, yeah, that is, that is Fred McGriff. Dave
2: Parker swinging the sledgehammer in the on deck circle, the Cobra. How is he not in the Hall of Fame?
3: We've been over that. It's it's a travesty that Pirates of legend Dave Dave Parker is not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was great with the A's too, but what do you do with the Pirates great with Reds? He was Come great on, everywhere. Man. He was a great player. He was on that ballot with like Steve Garvey and Tommy John and Dale Murphy. All
2: these guys. Like, how are we how are you missing that? He's an MVP. He had a rocket arm. He's one of the most menacing guys ever in the uh, in, in the batter's box. The Cobra. Dave Parker. God, man, Canseco and McGuire and both Hendersons and Carney and Walt Weiss.
3: Walt Weiss. That's I, Like, seeing that through me, that, that was that's like going back in time, too.
2: Neinbach. That team was loaded. My God, you're throwing Stu, Welch, Moore. I mean, come on, man.
3: Eck. Eck, Rick Honeycutt. Kurt Young? I mean, the,
2: the, the great Kurt Young. <laughs> friend of the program, Kurt Young. We need to get him back Kurt, on, too. Kurt Young is such a friend of the program that he and Emo rode together to the game and then would ride home together, where Emo admitted to us on the air that he and Kurt Young every night would listen to my post-game show.
3: <laughs> Emo's quietly probably, besides Liam, might be Closing the gap on best friend of the program. I mean, how about that? The two guys
2: running the pitching for the Oakland A's are listening to the post game. So that's why Kurt Young would always like say little things to me about callers. I'd I always laugh. You know who also listens to the show on the way home? <laughs> Billy Bean claims. Billy Bean claims he doesn't listen to the show, but you know who does listen to the show? Billy Bean's wife listens to the show. She admitted <laughs> she admitted that to me in Tokyo. I went, aha. Yeah, Billy Billy's a uh Billy's a serious guy. And I you know ever since I got this new car and I got serious. Channel 89, Serious XM Major League Baseball, it's all I listen to. It drives my family nuts, but I'm like it's the best. It's like our show. You get big names and I love it.
3: You, I can't wait you for that conversation next. By the time. way,
2: our guest list is better than any show on MLB Serious XM.
3: That's because of you, Cody. Well, I appreciate that. I'll take your word for it because I don't have XM. Uh, I don't, I don't have a nice luxury car like you do to, to have Sirius in it. I, I got terrestrial uh, radio. Your
2: car had it. You just didn't it re-up.
3: Was, it was free when I bought the car. Yes, the car's now almost True. two years old, so I All lost right, it. Where,
2: where are Oakland A's in the simulated baseball reference season?
3: You know, you mentioned 2012, and I wanted to say this quickly. The A's used, if I'm not, if I'm correct, 101 starts that year were by rookie pitchers. Tommy Malone.
2: Do you know who who started the first two games in Japan?
3: I couldn't tell you. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I got hit. hit. Brandon McCarthy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we're really going back. He was good for the A's. He had a nice. Who started started game two? Brett Anderson?
2: Bartolo Colon. Oh, there we go. Barty. Barty would test positive for a PED out for the season. Brandon McCarthy got hit in the head and was done for the year. Those were your top two pitchers. Jared Parker didn't even wasn't even on the trip to Japan. They sent him to AAA. Who the hell's Tommy Malone?
3: <laughs> Who's AJ Griffin?
2: What what who?
3: Travis Blackley.
2: AJ Griffin started game 162 throwing 85 miles an hour. Who are these guys? As they said in uh, Major League. Uh, was it one or two?
3: So who the? It's the first one. These? Who the? Are a, these guys? It's, who it's the, the first F F F one. Yeah, for these guys. Yeah. Uh, Kia uh, Kai was
2: at first base at one point. I mean, you want to reminisce about 2012. You got Pennington starting at short. They move him to second. I mean, all the different guys. I mean, we get do the simulated season. Okay.
3: So, simulated season. At? So, over the weekend, the A's took three of four from the Tampa Bay Rays, who are struggling Ooh, in the man. AL East. They're struggling in the AL East right now. The are Rays, they really? The Rays, as we speak today, because obviously they simulated the game from today. The Rays right now are 16-20, one game ahead of the Red Sox. A game and a half ahead of the Orioles, who are in last place at 14 and 21. So, big weekend for the A's. Chris Davis hit his 11th home run yesterday, tying him with Marcus Simeon for the team lead with 11. He's only one RBI behind Matt Chapman for the team lead. At, he has 26, Chapman with 27. Chapman's batting 220 or 232. Not the look, the start we are looking for from Matt Chapman, but the A's continue to win. Chris Bassett, Bassie gets the win. He only won one run. Fire. The A's scored five runs off Charles Morton. The guy that finished third in the AL Cy Young voting last year. And they started the series today against the Mariners. So that brings us to the series versus the dreaded Mariners who somehow continue to play well when they're not supposed to play well. The A's fall to 22-15 after losing 16-5 to, to the Mariners. So we're now 21-16 at the Coliseum. Chad Pinder hit a seventh home run. Matt Olsen hit a sixth. A.J. Puck struggles going two and a third along six runs. He's one and one with a 7.02 ERA on the season. Now, Joaquin Soria, about five more runs in relief. He now has an ERA close to 11, or if you want to be kind, it's at 10.93. So he's struggling. The The pitching stuff allowed 20 hits to the Mariners, and somehow the Mariners have Kevin Pillar and Pablo Sandoval playing on their team. So Jerry Depoto, very quiet in the offseason, decides to start making trades during the season. Do
2: you remember – does anybody remember before the 2012 season, who was deemed the untouchable player?
3: Let me think about this for a second. Untouchable player. He was deemed. He's the guy that's untouchable. Everybody
2: else, you give me the right offer. I'm not. Who I'm, was untouchable player going into the 2012 season.
3: I'm not going
2: to... Now you're in my wheelhouse.
3: I'm not going to say it's your guy, Derek Barton, but I'm assuming it's another position player, correct?
2: By the way, Derek Barton and I have made up... Oh,
3: all right. No, then that's good.
2: uh, Fake Derek Barton on Twitter and I are following each other (laughs) and communicating, and we're all good.
3: Uh, Is this a position player?
2: By the way, I never... I never had any... It was kind of an act. I never, ever had any problems with Derek Barton. I, I actually, back in the day, if people remembered, I used to host uh, over at the hotel at the Diamond Sports Bar and Grill. I used to, they would have players and everybody would come over after the game, have cocktails, and I'd interview the players. I did one of those with Derek Barton. I just, I just knew this guy isn't what, what, what you're saying he is. Oh, he's, he's such a great first baseman. Yeah.
3: Uh, I knew uh, who the player is. It's Jamal Weeks, isn't it? Because he had a great 2011. I had a, I had his jersey in Pennsylvania. I had the Jamal, Jamal Weeks jersey. Weeks.
2: Jamal Weeks in 118 games hit 221. I don't even know where Jamal Weeks is today.
3: I think he's out of baseball, to be honest. You
2: think he's out of baseball? I, I just so. I, re- I remember they brought him into the studio and. This was, you know, the front office saying there's there's one guy that is untouchable as the great Paul Himikiti, he's better known as Himbo, joins us here. Uh Himbo, I'll never forget, since we're gonna talk 2012, before the start of the season, the player deemed untouchable on the A's, not going anywhere, franchise player, the great Jamile Weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um there's actually a funny story to, to
4: when it comes to Jamile Weeks. Um, now, this is something that only I will care about, but I'm going to say it anyway. In I'm in a fantasy baseball league going for like 15 years, and Weeks was traded one for one for Mike Trout at that time. What? It Has ruined our it has ruined our fantasy baseball league for a decade. I that is no joke, <laughs> absurd, dude. I'm t- it, and it's and it's it, of course the commissioner is the one who got him, and he won't let him go no matter what weeks a career uh, 254 316 352 slash line um it didn't work out well for anybody well uh, and that guy's won like three or four titles since he got so there. your commissioner
2: gets to keep him forever
4: with the keeper leagues. So, like he he is he is he would sooner give me his firstborn son than than a fake baseball player in this league and I, I mean that's he is so possessive over Mike Trout I think in part because he's so proud of himself for you know because you gotta remember when Trout debuted he was sort of a schlub. He didn't look like he belonged. It wasn't until he came back up in 2012 the same day Press Harper debuted where Mike Trout was Mike Trout. So that's a that's a that's a sticky one. That's a sticky one in, in the Hempekitas household.
2: By the way, take a look how long my hair is. Oh, dude, I mean you I mean, and I, you, what, you and I look like you and I look like the burning bush from from the
4: Old Testament. And this is this is no you look like you um I bet you're. I bet there there are bushes in your yard that are better kept than that than that you know, flop on your head right now. I'm going for a mullet.
2: Yeah. yeah oh, I've, never, I've never had long hair. I, I want to go party on a part, a business <laughs> on top, party in the back, baby, a Kentucky waterfall. I'm going mullet. Speaking of which I did want to ask you, I do want a quick update on the
4: state of your, of your lawn, because I did hear a couple weeks ago that it was coming on quite nicely.
2: So when you, when you watch the masters and how <laughs> the fairway is, but the second cut is a little thicker and dark green. My my lawn looks like the second cut of Augusta. <laughs> so there are no there's no fescue. There's no fescue and, at your place. I, I am waiting for the city of San Jose to complain about my water bill because I'm water. <laughs> Believe. You have the tidiest yard in the area, man. Oh, Good <laughs> people. Flowers. I, I'm telling you, my. When this thing's over, I, I told all my friends I'm gonna throw a party. I'm gonna get a taco truck and everybody. And I and I t- I said, wait till you see my flowers and my lawn, my palm trees. I I should be a landscaper.
4: <laughs> you
2: should. You should throw.
4: You should throw that taco truck like right there at Amen Corner, and you need know, to you give yourself <laughs> give yourself little little stanchions, and you can breathe heavily into the mic like Vern does. Like just you might as well just embrace it at this point. What else do we have to live for?
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> in your life. <laughs> uh, so last week, I did pretty well in the trivia game, if I remember you sure did.
4: Yeah, you remember correctly. You remember correctly when you do well. Last week, you did well.
2: Yes. Before that, you owned me. But now you're getting into my wheelhouse here yeah. with the 2012 Oakland Athletics, who started <laughs> out, they were horrible. I was going over Cody, because I went with the team to Japan. And, That's right. And people forget who this. The two, star I don't know if this is going to be part of the question, so I'm not going to say their names, but the two guys who started the first two games in Japan did not finish the season with the team. (laughs) Uh, That was,
4: um, it was, it's always fun when you guys give me a little bit of, of an assignment like this, because there's so much that I don't remember. And like you guys are around this team every single day. But I'm, like, I'm, I'm seeing the highlights on SportsCenter, and this is the, the, and the 2012 season is was, was one of my favorites like in my lifetime, and there's still a lot that you forget. So I think this will be a lot of fun, and I, my expectation is that you actually do fairly well today. All right, let's rock. Let's rock, baby. Okay, the first question I like to think is a layup, but we'll see. So the 2012 A's, as you probably know, set an MLB record with 54 wins from 10 different rookie pitchers. 54 wins from rookies is a major league record. Who are the only two rookies on that team with more than seven wins.
2: That would be one uh, guy who didn't start with the team. He started in AAA, but then became a big part down the stretch. It would be Jared Parker. Jared Parker is correct. He won 13 games. And then uh, rookie. I would, I'm going to go with the kid from USC, the great Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone is also correct.
4: Very well done, my friend. Both Jared Parker and Tommy Malone won 13 games for the A's. No other rook, uh, rookies won more than seven. But like I said, 54 total wins from rookies. It remains a major
2: league record. And by the way, I don't think Tommy was on the trip to Japan either.
4: <laughs> the, the A's were as far back as, let's see here, nine games below 500 as late as June 10th. You remember that season very well. That, that's a that's a. That's a, nice, that's a nice finish. That's almost halfway through the season.
2: Well, from June from June 2nd on, they had the best record and they hit the most home runs. There you go. And that's a team that like, – I think um, the team leader in homers was Josh Reddick with 32. So
4: they got them from all sorts of people. Like, it wasn't one of those years where they had a couple guys that mashed. They got them from everywhere. That's really when the A started to like really stack their lineup top to bottom and get a lot of dingers across it. Well done. That was a two-part question to start. Okay. Uh, I'll hit you with question number two here as I try to get off the schneid. Miguel Cabrera won the American League Triple Crown in 2012, as you might recall. Broke a 45-year drought in either league. Who was the last player to do it before he did it? Come on, man. Carl Yastrzemski. Carl Yastrzemski in what year?
2: Mm, 78 or 79, something like that? That's incorrect.
4: Carl Yastrzemski, well, I'm going to give you the correct answer here, but it was a 1967 Yastrzemski won the Triple Crown Award. That was a ridiculous season for him. Do you happen to know? who the last player to win the Triple Crown in the National League is.
2: Last player in the National League. I'm going to go with uh, Stan Musial. Stan Musial never
4: did it. That's incorrect. It was actually another Cardinal. In 1937, Joe Ducky Medwick won the Triple Crown for the Cardinals with a three seventy four oh. batting average, Curry. 31 dingers. 154
2: RBI.
3: You didn't know that, Cody. I couldn't remember his name, but I knew it was a Cardinal. Was the last NL player to win this, uh, he's the like, Triple Crown. Like,
2: he's like, I know that. No, you didn't know the 1937.
3: <laughs> I knew it was a. I knew it was a Cardinal though. It,
2: and it wasn't Stan Musial because Medwick
4: is like he had a couple brilliant seasons, and he even over, he even over like Stan Musial is the person you think did it because Stan Musial hit for I think he hit 325 for his career, 400 home runs, like was a rock. But not since 1937 has someone won the National League Triple, Triple Crown Award. And I'll tell you what, even though it's not sort of a, a sabermetric thing at all, like, and I'm sort of one who enjoys the modern numbers, I am sort of a sucker for the Triple Crown because it's so rare. Like Anything that's that rare to me is interesting and cool. Even if we've decided RBI don't matter much, like I still think it's a, 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 an awesome accomplishment. That's why when you know, Cabrera did it in 2012, I was one who celebrated it because it was such an extraordinary thing.
2: You know, it's so funny. Uh, but, but I get Carl Yastrzemski. You get Cody's Um, I let and I say this with Cody all the time. When you say wins don't matter, uh, go ask the starting pitcher. You say RBIs don't matter, go ask a the hitter. They'll they'll tell you what it means. Correct.
4: When you're a player, like what you what you want to do is it position players. You want to touch home plate as much as you can, or make sure one of your teammates does. So like it's hard for players to understand why those things don't don't matter as much because players like players don't play the game. In a context neutral environment, they play the game with the context, with the leverage. Whereas, like, we can evaluate this stuff, you know, years after the fact and say, and and say X, Y, or Z mattered. But I'm with you. Like, Mark Mulder always used to say, like, yeah, I pitched to the score. Darn right, I pitched to the score. Whereas, like, there's really no statistical way to prove that's the case for him or for any pitcher for that matter. So uh, I'll give you Yastrzemski, but a little weak on the Joe Medwick poll. Well done, Cody. I'm going to take your (laughs) word for it there. Okay. This one, this one, I expect to be a lot tougher. So, so buckle right. So the, so the Giants, uh, the Giants swept the Tigers in the 2012 World Series. Again, sticking with our 2012 theme, that was their third World Series in franchise history, in which they won by sweep. C- can you name the other two teams the Giants swept in the World Series?
2: Oh, uh, that's going back to New York. Yes, it is. Um. I guess Yankees. The Yankees is correct. I'm not going to ask you to name
4: the year. So that's too tough. (laughs) The Giants swept the 1922 Yankees. I'd be really impressed if you got this one. It's a very famous series, but this would be a a really good pull and a good show of knowledge. Uh, I'm going to go the Philadelphia athletics. That is incorrect. The correct (sighs) answer is the 1954 Indians. Uh, That was, that was the, I think a, a 111 win team, if I'm not mistaken, that was heavily favored. And, let me make sure that I, I don't mess this note up because it was, yes, this, this was the World Series in which Willie Mays made the famous catch. like The catch, the Vic Works, that was that World Series. The Indians were a heavy favorite having won more than 110 regular season games. Those were the only three sweeps in the World Series in franchise history. So I'm going to give you 50% credit there. All Cody, right. I assume, knew both of them. Okay. Uh, a couple more questions for you. This one, I think, up your wheelhouse. Who were the only two pitchers to beat the A's more than three times in their playoff careers? Verlander, Justin Verlander is correct. Justin Verlander is four and zero oh in his career against the A's in the postseason. And this is
2: this is is this all time? This is all time. They had to win how many games? More
4: than three, more than three for their career. So Verlander four wins across two or three different playoff series.
2: Uh, I would go, <sighs> Jim Palmer.
4: That is incorrect. I thought I thought this is the one that you'd actually get. The correct answer is Christy Matheson. Christy Matheson won three playoff games against uh, the A's in one World Series in 1905, which is still widely considered like the greatest pitching performance of all time in the World Series. Christy Matheson won five postseason games against the A's in his career, and Justin Verlander, Juan, four I wasn't gonna ask you to name anyone else with more than two because the only person with three is Wild Bill
2: Hallahan I didn't think that you pulled out
3: I knew that one by the,
2: by that the would way have, that would have been Christian a Matthewson doing that it's far greater than Verlander because those Philadelphia athletic teams were unbelievable and he pitched every inning he
4: that World Series is would get him into the Hall of Fame by himself so when people compare that to Madison Bumgarner and what he's done in the play like no stop Apples to elephants. What Christy Matheson did against those guys in that World Series is unmatchable in baseball history and will, I don't think will ever be duplicated. But you, Berliner, a little too fresh still for you.
2: By the way, the great Bob Costas is going to be on with us at 2 o'clock. Um, he was he – was, uh, they were doing yesterday on MLB Network the 2001 series. To Think about Randy Johnson going seven innings in game six and then coming out of the bullpen in game seven. you want to talk about a man. I mean, that was like, and and you knew when Randy, you knew those Yankee hitters went, Oh no, not this guy again.
4: Correct. There's a really fun, at least what I like to think is a fun anecdote as it relates to Randy Johnson in that world series, because I think like he was, he was inducted into the hall of fame somewhat recently. And I think he's remembered very much. So at least the people of my age as an extremely clutch pitcher solely because of that. But he was very much not clutch leading up to that. In fact, Randy Johnson had lost seven consecutive postseason games spanning 95 to 01, which remains the longer streak of its kind. So, like, this is a player who we remember for that, like, for his one-shining moment, if you will. Randy Johnson, for years, couldn't win postseason games. It's just sort of funny how history changes its mind over the course of time. But, like, he it took him a long time to get over the hump, sort of like David Price recently.
2: All righty. Was this the last one?
4: One more question for you. Okay. Mike Trout won the Rookie of the Year Award in 2012, as you know. But two A's finished in the top five of the American League Rookie of the Year voting. Name them both.
2: I would say Josh Donaldson. That is incorrect. That's incorrect. Rookie of I, mean, year. I don't think he, he... Josh
4: Donaldson was not rookie eligible in in that season. He must have he must have blown his eligibility. No, excuse oh, me. He, was, he oh. was rookie eligible in 2012 but did not receive any votes.
2: Yoannis Cespedes. Correct.
4: Really hard really easy for me to forget when his rookie season was. Cespedes finished second in the voting uh, behind Trout. Chris Carter? Chris Carter's incorrect Cody. Sounds like you know. Josh Reddick. Josh Reddick is incorrect also. The correct answer has already been mentioned on the broadcast here. It was Jared Parker. Jared Parker received one American League Rookie of the Year vote. He finished fifth in the voting, and I have to say, like, I was watching it from afar. But there is, there are very few players whose careers were more tragic than his with the promise, and then uh, it, it's not just that the injuries. It was like the, it was the traumatic, the traumatic nature of them. It's just terribly a shame, and you, like, he's a kid that you really feel for, obviously.
2: Let me tell you a great story from 2012. So Scott Sizemore is supposed to be the third baseman. Blows out his knee, and that allows Josh Donaldson to get his start. At one point, Donaldson's hitting 0.84, something like that. I mean, it's (laughs) horrific. He gets sent down to Sacramento. I'm doing my talk show. My producer goes, hey, uh, this guy's claiming to be Josh Donaldson. He wants to come on and talk college football with you. Because Donaldson and I, Donaldson went to Auburn. So we always he's a big college football guy. So I said, bring him on. And Donaldson's going up I-80, being sent down and calls into my talk show to talk college football, then would come back as a leader of the team at third base and finish on fire. And (laughs) it's one of the great stories when you look back, Donaldson calling my show after being sent down. He's not even hitting his weight. That is hilarious. Josh Donaldson at that time, or
4: at least through, let's see here, he was called up again August 14th, was was 15 for 98 through June 13th, had a couple months down there, and he came back really strong. I, this is totally off topic, but, like, I still find the Donaldson for Barreto deal to be so bizarre. Like, it's so bizarre. I don't know. Like, I'm obviously not there. I don't know the ins and outs. Just one of the more bizarre trades that we've seen lately.
2: Yeah, because you have this player – highly coveted it's like my house when i sold my house i put a sign out i let everybody walk through it and then whoever gave me the most money i said it's yours (laughs) so it's like why if you got a player like donaldson why wouldn't you put the for sale sign up and let 29 teams go against each other for this guy that's a primo third baseman
4: john at that time he had two years left of team control if i'm not mistaken does that sound right Something like that, yeah. Or something three. like that. And Barreto as as was a strong prospect. We're not talking about like a, a super prospect by any means, right? Like this is I'm not I'm not I'm not misremembering that. To me, like that was one of the more bizarre things. But it just goes to show, like when Billy does something, you assume sort of like Belichick, like there's a reason for it. When Billy does something, you assume there's a reason for it. And he's like he, he even he would admit that he hasn't batted a thousand on these things. But like he's someone who I generally give the benefit of the doubt to with these trades
2: with Brett Lowry, Kendall Graveman, and Sean Nolan. <laughs> Brett
4: Lurie just absolutely raked when he first came up. That was another bizarre – that's another bizarre player. who, Like, you just – like, when he's 22 years old, like, you can't – you can't – like, you're, you're – like, this guy has, like, a Hall of Fame trajectory. It's so funny. Prospects will break your heart. There's so much about baseball that you just can't scout. There's just – there's so much about the day-to-day grind that you just can't scout. And Lowry's a perfect example of that.
2: And one of the weirdest guys, I think that <laughs> – I think I, I think how uncomfortable it was. I'm not saying he was a bad person. He just he he. You talk to him, he'd be shaking. I mean, he chewed his nail. His nails were so chew. I mean, he was uh, he was just. I think it's just uncomfortable, and I think that kind of played a part. It, it outweighed what he did on the ball field, and I think that's why he's not in baseball.
4: Probably so. That was. As a rookie, though, or at least in his first year in 43 games, a 153 OPS plus. Like, this, like I remember when he came back in, in 2012 with the Blue Jays thinking, like, this guy's going to be a star. And then he just never was. Like, so that, that just happens. And that's why, I, generally speaking, as much as I favor having the team control, if you can, get, if you can trade prospects before they've proven anything, more often than not, I feel good about my chances. Like, I understand the notion of, of having, the, you know, having your player dev people have six years with these guys and, and be able to build the cost up. But there's something about there's something about a proven big leaguer that even me as like one of these stat people just can't get over, and that's why I think some of those trades are so so odd. Like right now, the prospect value is is higher than it should be in my judgment across the league.
2: How historic is today's game in South Korea? I mean,
4: incredibly so in the sense of the context, right? Because I have no idea how many people ESPN is expecting to watch this, but it's going to be a lot more than you think. I people and and when you listen to Fauci and you listen to Mitch McConnell like everyone like it's going to be great to have any sport back but baseball is truly what is going to bring us back together here I don't know if we're going to fall in love with these players I don't know if people are going to be staying up till three o'clock in the morning to watch these games or not but we're going to do a highlight on our show tomorrow of Korean baseball and it's going to be across the network and that's really good for all of us so I don't know like really how to conceptualize any of this because there's really no precedent at all like I would have, generally speaking, no interest in watching a Korean baseball game, obviously. But I think it's a wonderful thing that ESPN's putting the games on. And seeing baseball highlights on TV tomorrow is going to make me feel a little bit better. That's, that's how I see it.
2: Yeah, it's like the, they're the first one in. And then after this, we have Japan. And then we're going to have NASCAR. And we're going to have the PGA Tour. And I think this is good for baseball because baseball is rather conservative. That, and That's how they run their league. Yeah. So yeah. if other places can do it, I think baseball will be more comfortable doing it. I agree. And if you're
4: like me, you sort of measure like sports are sort of a way that you measure the passage of time. Right. And I think as we sort of tick off these different sort of, you know, postmarks along the way, like I think they'll go a long way in making us feel better societally. And I think even if even if tomorrow, if this game is just, I don't know, one percent of that. It's well worth doing. So I am i can't wait to, to wake up and see who wins. I might even catch the end of the game with my hours.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, if a good thing for us, it starts at uh, 10 o'clock. So I'm a night owl. I can't wait. I Hell, I might even keep score. Well, that, you should keep score. That's how we feel on the East Coast trying to watch
4: Clayton Kershaw pitch or watch Mike Trout play. Like, that's how we feel. So n- n- now that you guys get all these early games, you are going to taste of your own medicine here.
2: So it's been established uh, on some show of the greatness that was you as a college <laughs> baseball player. Where did you play and what did you play?
4: <laughs> uh, I was not a good enough college baseball player to ever advertise this. This is why these things sort of trickle out the way that they do. I played division two baseball at a school called Cedarville University in Ohio. I was not a hack, but I wasn't by any means getting looks either. I was sort of a punch and Judy scrappy second baseman. I was a four year starter, a decent division two player. Hit almost 300 for my career. Could really pick it in the field. Um, my coach once told me, you're an acquired taste. And I took that as a compliment. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there, I mean, my, my buddies always used to joke around that if I was ever good enough, Billy Bean would have liked me because, um, as you may have heard on the clip, I managed to on base 450 for my college career with a 350 slugging percentage. So, like, we're talking about some serious lack of power. And, and, and definitely some over-discipline. We're talking about like not swinging
2: till two strikes usually, <laughs> but like when you can't hit anything but singles, what's the point of swinging? Well, don't worry. I was a bad division one pitcher. So don't worry about it. It's San Jose state. Can I get a little stat line? Like, how, are you still one that can remember that? stuff? My career, I was five and seven with five saves.
4: Five and seven with five saves. Is there any context on the, uh, the run prevention swing and miss?
2: Hey, man, I, I I played in the Big West, which was Fullerton, Long Beach, Phil Nevin. Dave, we had big leaguers. <laughs> it, talking about, so against Long Beach State, I strike out Jason Giambi on a Saturday. The very next day, same scenario, I come in to face him. He hit a bomb <laughs> over the right field wall and over their batting cages. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be 500 feet. What did you What did you spin? It was a fastball. I challenged okay. him inside. He turned on it, <laughs> Gonzo. What, what was your velocity at here
4: at this point in your in your illustrious career? I was career? 88, I was eighty eight to ninety. So you thought like, let me beat Jason Giambi be in on the hands here?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I got him the day before, and I thought I could do it again. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't very smart. I was just I just got up there and try and throw as hard as I could. That's tremendous. So so I don't know. I mean, I think if you were pitching to me, I mean,
4: I, I probably walk work a couple walks based on what it sounds like we're doing here. you probably with me a couple times because I couldn't hit 90 on the hands. That's for sure. So who knows I, I mean, it's a, it's certainly a fight that no one
2: would, would want to see. that's that is for, oh, that there's is for sure. there's a good chance I'd walk you there, there there's no <laughs> There's no because it was so weird. it's like you know because as, as a high school guy, I was a starter and then you get to college and you're not good enough to be a starter, so they put you in the bullpen. And then that was just – you just learned just – you come in and then, hey, I got three outs and I'm, I'm, I'm airing it out, everything I got.
4: I need one of your – one of the A's scouting types during this quarantine, during this dead time here to put together a scouting report for you. Like, I want, I want to see your like – I, I want to go back in the time machine here and then evaluate you as a college prospect. Are you just getting 20s across the board with your – on your 20 to 80? Like, are you getting – are you across the board 20s?
2: I'm getting – should have not gone out as much and drank as much, should have studied more. And should have graduated earlier than I did. Uh, I don't think the <laughs> scouting report would be very good on my college. But no one had more fun than I had. There you
4: go. Bad body had tons of fun. Like that's that's sort of that's sort of what you're going for. It's right.
2: actually. I was really in shape, but <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I, and 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 uh, I put it this way: the scouting re- report would be, I didn't get cheated.
4: In any in any of your college experience, it sounds. No,
2: wild. I I did I I did not I did not get cheated. <laughs> Good for you, man.
4: <laughs> well done. So I'm glad to hear that. I'm sure your listeners are just dying to, to 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 hear this interaction. But I'm glad to know that you and I have been able to shell out our statistics and all the rest of it because uh, I'm sure that was painful. I mean, the funny thing is, like everyone always remembers being better than they were. So I think you and I actually have a pretty decent like understanding of, of what we were. I mean you're you you're with these big leagues, you know, big league players every single day, so you you know, were obviously humbled pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, you know, people just you know, the level of play at the major league level, and especially what we're watching now with the A's. We're watching historically great defense. You're talking about our third baseman, Mark Simon, who you know, is already yep. saying he's an all-time great. Uh, And Chapman Olsen's won two straight gold gloves. Simeon has resurrected himself into a great defensive player. And just to watch the double plays and the great arms and just it's just it's beautiful to watch the defense because with the A's, everybody talks about the home runs and all this and the bullpen's been good or now it's starting pitching. The hallmark of them winning 97 games two straight years, I truly believe, is their defense. Outstanding
4: defensive efficiency across the board,
2: both in the infield and the outfield.
4: Like It's funny, like when you're talking about this team, and one thing that you always, you know, I always joke around with the college buddies is like, let's say you get a full year to prep, right? You got 500 at bats in the big leagues. Are you batting 100? Like, no, I'm going two for 500. Like You don't realize how good these guys are. The, the worst pitch that they ever throw in the big leagues is the best pitch that you have ever seen. And the defense is not even something that we talk about, but you're exactly right with the A's. At a time when there are fewer balls in play than ever before, it was my opinion a few years ago that teams that went away from defense were going to be the teams with the advantage because there are just fewer opportunities. Well, as it turns out, the stats suggest the exact opposite is the case. Because there are fewer opportunities, those opportunities are more valuable, and you guys were ahead of the curve there.
2: Hey, where are you? We'll end on this. Where are you on the four-man outfield? I, I mean, so long as it's
4: allowed, I think that I would probably employ it every once in a while, especially with some of these, um, like, like obviously some of these heavy pull guys on the, uh, like especially the lefties on the pull side on the ground. I think it would definitely have a utility, and it's not something that's like all that new. Like we, like this is something they did against William McCovey. Like this is something that they did sort of against Ted Williams. I think with how shallow you, I mean, with how deep you play the second baseman, sometimes we're already kind of doing that. So. I think so long as it's within the rules, you'll see it a lot. The Rays are a team that seem to want to do it a lot because they had the personnel. They added all the outfielders this offseason. and in your stadium with all that real estate, it might not be an un- unwise either. My opinion on the matter is that Major League Baseball should not allow that. Like, am I, even though it's even though, then you're sort of affecting the game. Like, I always argue against that, but I think that in baseball there are three outfielders and four infielders. I think spikes in the dirt is something that I would employ in the rule book. I, a lot of people disagree with me on that. So long as it's within the rules, I would exploit it like anything else. But I want, I want spikes in the dirt to be in the rule book.
2: Hembo, you are the best, my friend. Be well, enjoy a little South Korea baseball. And we will talk to you next week. You got it, man. I feel bad for the, for your listeners having to listen to me and then go to Bob Costas.
4: What a, <laughs> what, what a, what a letdown, but it's, hey, it's always good to hear your voice.
2: This is greatness to greatness from Himbo <laughs> to Bob Costas. He joins us next right here on A's Cast Live. <laughs>
1: Now back to A's Cast Live, broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: All right, Cody, are we calling him, or is he calling us? The great Bob Costas.
3: Uh, I'm calling the great Bob Costas in a second here. All right. With millennial technology. I gave him the spiel on how it works. I gave him the number to call, and he's told for me to call him. So I was like, all right, whatever Bob Costas wants, you know, I'm I'm going to do. He's
2: probably. I wonder where he is normally he lives in St. Louis, but he's, but they've been doing a lot of, I can't wait to talk to him about what we saw yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Truly one of the great world series of all time, 2001 Yankees are looking to make it four in a row and somehow Bob Melvin, Bob Melvin's got series and this world series was absolutely incredible and watching it on MLB Network was amazing the Hall of Famer one of the great TV broadcasters in the history of American sports and American television Bob Costas is here on A's cast live Bob thank you so much for taking the time obviously we're all big fans
5: thanks so much
2: and I can tell you So my wife knows nothing about sports. And Mm -hmm. normally when I tell her who's coming on, she has no idea. But when I said you were coming on, my wife goes, you're going to have Bob Costas on? So that's, you know, when you've had a really good career, when people don't even know sports, know who you are.
6: (laughs) Well,
5: the Olympics has something to do with that. Because a lot of people who aren't really avid sports fans, nonetheless, follow the Olympics. And I did a dozen of them. And then luckily, during most of my NBC career, it was the biggest events. It was the World Series, the NBA Finals, the Super Bowl, Sunday Night Football, the Kentucky Derby. So those things kind of pull in the casual viewers as well. So I guess I was very often just in the right place at the right time.
2: Yeah, what was it like? I've always wanted to ask you this. What was it like, the preparation, the Olympics, this is the big, biggest event, everybody in the world's watching. What was it like to be a part of that?
5: Specifically the Olympics? Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things I learned after the first couple I did, and this was a great relief, it took a lot of the stress away. I learned what you didn't have to know. I came to understand you don't have to know every pole vaulter from Slovakia or every platform diver from Peru. That's what the people who are assigned to that specific event and venue have to know everything about. The host has to have a good overview of that particular Olympics and the two dozen or so stories that are likely to get most of the coverage in primetime. You have to have a good grasp of the history of the Olympics, a good frame of reference when it comes to that, and know more than a little bit about the host city and the host country. But you shouldn't get bogged down with every race walker from Romania or or every swimmer from Australia. Um, that, that kind of takes care of itself.
2: And we've been watching The Last Dance, uh, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Have you been watching that? And obviously you live that.
5: Yeah, I've watched every minute of it, and I'm very impressed. It's terrific storytelling. Jason Hare, who led the production team and that entire team, ESPN gave them plenty of time. They gave them plenty of resources, and they've really maximized it. They've done a great job.
2: You know, I've been I've been watching MLB Network. Of course, we're all MLB Network junkies and watching you with Tom Verducci, Tim McCarver and Joe Torrey going over the 2001 World Series. And hopefully we're mm. going to have our, 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 our old friend, Matt Williams, who's managing in South Korea. You know, we, we've had him on the program quite a bit. Uh, and he was a part of that series. What a great World Series that was. And to have Joe Torrey there talking about all, how much fun have you had looking at all these classic games?
5: Well, that series goes back to 2011. That's when we selected the 20 greatest games of the modern television era from 1960 on. And almost all of them were postseason games with a few exceptions. And what really seems to still work is you can pull those off the shelf and all the networks are having to pull a lot of stuff, archival stuff off the shelves during this strange period of time it still works. It worked in 2011 when that World Series was a decade old. It works now when it's almost two decades old. You see all the important plays, but what distinguishes it from just simply replaying the entire game is that you have some of the key principles sitting there and recollecting the strategy, some of the specifics that might've escaped you when you were just watching the game, even if you were covering the game, there's always some inside baseball there. And then there's the emotion that they felt either the exhilaration when it went well, or, uh, or the letdown when it, when it didn't. And talking about that world series and talking to Joe Torrey, uh, the Yankees had gone through a, a rather remarkable season. They beat the Seattle Mariners who won 116 games that year They beat them in the LCS, and all of this comes after 9-11, and the city is traumatized, and even people who tend to root against New York and specifically root against a team like the Yankees, they coalesced around the Yankees. The Yankees became a sympathetic team in no small part because of Joe Torre and people like Derek Jeter. It was very difficult to dislike this Yankee team, and especially in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, so many dramatic things happened. President Bush went walking out to the mound before game three, and people were still jittery about attending a big event in New York. And he threw a perfect strike from the mound, and it kind of energized everything and uplifted the country. And then during that World Series, in the fourth and fifth games of the series, the Yankees tied the game in each case on a two-out home run in the bottom of the ninth, first by Tino Martinez and then by Scott Brosius. Then there was the Mr. November home run, the first World Series game played after November 1st, after the clock struck midnight and Derek Jeter hit the walk-off home run. So Torrey and the Yankees had all this exhilaration and all of the emotion surrounding 9-11 that took them to game seven. And they go to the bottom of the ninth in game seven with a lead and Mariano Rivera on the mound. And it looked like it was going to be another Yankee victory. And then it slipped away. So you talk about the roller coaster of emotions – hard to imagine more dips and turns uh, than Joe Torre went through that October.
2: You know, we've been talking a lot about the seventies A's we're going to get into 1989. Uh, you were a part of the broadcast and speaking of mm-hmm. the last dance, it's, it's hard to compare eras and teams from other sports, but the way there was a common enemy in Jerry Krause with the bulls, those great A's teams, the dynasty, it was Charlie Finley was their common enemy and he had great players who What do you remember about the three straight World Series teams for the A's in 72, 73, and 74?
5: Well, I was still in college then, so I didn't have a press pass. I didn't cover any of it, but I've always been an avid baseball fan. And this is pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-sports talk as we know it. But even then, it was pretty clear that things were a little unorthodox, shall we say, in Oakland surrounding those teams. But whatever conflict there may have been, managerial changes even after winning world championships, players at one another's throats, everybody upset with Finley. No matter what controversy there may have been, they were the best team in baseball for that stretch, uh, that three-year stretch. They were, they were just terrific, and they won dramatic games, and they became, for that period of time, a, a national team. Now, when you fast forward to the late 80s and early 90s when they went to three straight World Series, you could make a case that that was an even better team but in baseball, uh, a best of five or a best of seven can be a crapshoot. So they only won one of those three World Series. Otherwise, that team, Tony LaRusso's team, would be in the conversation among the great teams in the modern era. No doubt. And, and it r- still r- should be. It still should be, really.
2: Yeah. It, it, we're going to start breaking it down because we, we, we are airing games here on NBC Sports California of the 70s games. We're now going to hopefully start doing 1989. You know, they lose to the Dodgers, and what a great run by Oral Hersizer in 1988. But they go to spring training saying, that's not going to happen. We're going to win the World Series. They had great confidence. What do you remember about doing those games? Because we just watched one of those games, uh, ALCS, Blue Jays, and A's.
5: Yeah, in 88, they were clearly the best team. But the Mets were a better team than the Dodgers, and the Dodgers beat them in seven games. And I remember thinking before the first game of that World Series, if somehow the Dodgers can steal the first game against Dave Stewart, Oral Hirschheiser is going to pitch game two. And that was back in an era where guys could come back on three days rest. So he could conceivably pitch games two and five, which he did. So even though the Dodgers were substantial underdogs, if they could steal that first game, there was a really good chance they could go to Oakland up two games to none. And that's exactly what happened. The miracle home run by Kirk Gibson, then Hershiser, who was not just Cy Young great, he was invincibly great uh, in the last half of uh, the 1988 season. He shut them down in Game 2. He closed the series out in Game 5. They stole another game in Game 4. The only game the A's won, as you guys remember, was on a Mark McGuire walk-off against Jay Howell in Game 3, and then Lasorda pulled every rabbit out of the hat in Game 4. He gave guys the hit sign on 3-0, and oh, and they homered. He pulled a suicide squeeze. He did everything, and somehow they won game four. That's, that's baseball. So here are, the, here are the A's. In 88, they're the best team. In 89, Tony Kubek and I did the ALCS, and they pretty much had their way with a very good uh, Toronto Blue Jay team, beat them in five, and then you get the earthquake series, which the earthquake itself, the so-called earthquake series. So for 10 days they had to sit and wait. But then they went on to sweep the Giants. And then the next year, again, they're the best team, but they get swept by the Cincinnati Reds. Ask Tony LaRusso about it. And then you you realize that in 2006 and in 2011, he won World Series with the Cardinals when there's no way that the Cardinals over the course of the season were the best team in the National League or the best team in baseball, but with a different playoff setup and they got hot at the right time and they won it. The baseball gods, when it comes to Tony La Russa, who's obviously a Hall of Fame manager, they've smiled on him on some occasions, luckily for him toward the end of his career. And other times, the baseball gods were cruel to him.
2: Yeah, we've had Tony on the program, and he talks about it's a disappointment that they only won one. But this one team, because I'm in high school at the time, I'm playing mm-hmm. baseball, they were rock stars to me. I mean, when you start looking at the big personalities, you know, where, where we're going with cable television at the time, you got Canseco, Ricky Henderson, they trade for him, Sandy Alderson gets him back, and Eckersley. I mean, it was just, what, what was the team like from a standpoint of stardom?
5: Oh, they were, as you put it, they were rock stars. And obviously, Maguire, were it not for his involvement in PEDs, he would have had a Hall of Fame career. His statistics would not have been what they were at their most inflated, but he would have had a Hall of Fame career. Can uh, Seiko was the first 40 40 guy, but of all the players on that team, and there were some really good players. I mean, Walt Weiss was a good player. Terry Steinbach, Steinbach was a good player. Carney Lansford was a batting champion at one point in his career. Dave Stewart was one of the best starting pitchers of his era. But the two greatest players, when you really look at it objectively, were Dennis Eckersley at that point in his career and Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson is the greatest leadoff man in baseball history. And in that 89 LCS against the Blue Jays, he just dominated the whole series. He would get on first base, steal second, steal third. The entire defense was jittery. Pitcher couldn't concentrate on the hitter. It was he was a presence from from the moment he stepped on the field. When he was in the on deck circle, you know, or he gets ahead in the count two and zero, oh, you got to groove one to him because you can't risk walking him. He was he was as much of a presence as a baseball player can be. And if you think about it, a baseball player comes up once every nine hitters he's out there in left field maybe they hit the ball to him maybe they don't it's not the same thing as basketball where a guy like Michael Jordan can be a presence every moment he's on the floor you felt like Ricky Henderson was a presence every minute of every game at that stage of his career
2: let's end on this today's a really big day for Major League Baseball as at 10 o'clock tonight here on the West Coast on ESPN we're gonna see baseball in South Korea Just Mm -hmm. in baseball history, how important is it that this works in South Korea?
5: I don't know. Uh, I'll be interested to see, but I don't know if it will resonate with American audiences. Obviously, people are hungry for any sort of sports competition. Some of them are watching uh, people play horse at a distance on ESPN or on the NBA network. Uh, So we'll see uh, if this has any traction at all. I haven't really looked up and down the rosters. I don't know if there's anybody that would jump out that would be in the category of a Haro I realize that's Japan, but you know what I'm saying. There are some people uh, who excel outside the United States and outside our major leagues that uh, are worthy of attention. I think how these games are covered uh, with with the coverage surrounding it, I don't know that the, uh, the, the announcers, are they going to take Korean announcers with subtitles, or are they assigning ESPN announcers to it?
2: i don't know i just uh for yeah all neither, p- do,
5: neither do i but my, my point is somebody's got to make it has to explain and set the stage to the american viewer you know who are these people who are the best players what's at stake here uh otherwise you're just watching guys swing a bat and run around the bases
2: Well, during these trying times, we're trying to bring on familiar voices because I think it helps people here in Northern California where we're we're cooped up in our homes, and your voice is one of the most familiar we got. Thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor. Be well, and hopefully once the baseball season starts, we can start talking about Major League Baseball.
5: Boy, we all hope so. Thanks a lot for having me on. Take care. Bye.
2: The great Bob Costas. How good was that?
3: That's the first time I've ever booked Bob Costas, so I was very excited to listen to him there. Um, Carl Ravich and Eduardo Perez are calling the game tonight for ESPN. So, Ravich and Eduardo are doing some games. I think Jessica Mendoza is doing a couple. So, we are going to have the an, an, an English feed with with Ravich and Eduardo Perez doing it for ESPN starting tonight.
2: Ravi? Ravi's going to be on the call?
3: Yeah, him and Eduardo Perez. You're going to have – you are you know, when I think of call Ravich, I think of baseball tonight and – traditional and you have Eduardo Perez who's a big fan of advanced analytics sabermetrics whatever you want to call it now it should be interesting because he's always a part of the the uh, Statcast broadcast when ESPN does that for the playoffs
2: and when Eduardo Perez is in the Bay Area what happens he listens to Ace Cast Live (laughs) that was awesome having Bob Cody, you're having a hell of a day, by the way. You you are you are you are you are slaying it, as we like to say.
3: Uh, thank you. I never thought I'd hear you say that word because that's more of a uh, hip. I don't. I'm a millennial. I don't even say that. But uh, hearing that from you, it means a lot. And you know, we're looking forward. I look forward to trying to get people on to tell stories about not just the A's, but stuff that happened in baseball history and. We've been doing a great job, and hopefully, you know, we we're going to have your guy Brent Musburger on Wednesday. I booked Ken Singleton to talk about the Yankees. Nice. So, I know, you, I know, you've been wanting to talk to him. So we got some. Uh, and don't forget we have Fossey on Wednesday as well. So as I shamelessly self-promote towards Wednesday, uh, hopefully, we'll have Matt Williams or Dan the K Man Straley as well from Korea, which will be interesting if we can get coming them. up. Go ahead. I was going to say if we can get them, that's all I was ending with.
2: Coming up. Jeff Passan has talked about baseball in South Korea. You'll hear what he has to say next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is
0: Shamania. Minaya. has no hit the Red
7: Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball.
2: Wait, Wait, is this a Syracuse show? What the heck is going on around here?
3: Well, unfortunately,
2: Dave O'Brien, a bunch of Syracuse honks on today.
3: Unfortunately, not a lot of people in broadcasting went to my college. So Cal U, California University of Pennsylvania is out. And um, besides you and the great Pat Hughes, I don't know a lot of other broadcasters that went to San Jose State. Why don't you just book Matt Pearl? He's a Syracuse honk. Uh, I'm, there's a lot of Syracuse people, we know, uh, Greg Papa, Syracuse guy. There's so there's many guys, one. Mike Tarico. uh, there's another one the, who the, the, I'm drawing a blank. The guy that did Monday night football before Tessitore and, and Booger McFarlane, um, uh, McDonough. Sean McDonough. McDonough, McDonough, Syracuse guy, Papa's roommate. There are so many guys once Syracuse is a great broadcasting school.
2: Well, we'll break down the Red Sox coming up here with Dave O'Brien, uh, this is an interesting, interesting day. This is the template. No fans in the stands. Players playing ball. No one touch each other. No spitting. I don't know. What are they doing with the – are, are they are they going to be in the stands, the players?
3: I didn't see that part in the story, so that's interesting. I, I was reading – I remember, like – the stuff about the umpires wearing gloves and masks and stuff—I I guess I, I'll do some more research. But I didn't see anything about the saying they're gonna. The players are gonna be in the in the stands
2: because the, the the article I read last night on ESPN. Did you see that one? Where yeah, they were talking about yeah, it? that's yeah. It, 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 there's a picture. They had a bunch of pictures, and one of the pictures was players sitting in the stands. Let's hear Jeff Passen from ESPN was on Get Up, their morning show, produced by the great Paul Hibiki,ds who we had on today. Let's hear what Jeff Passan has to say about it.
6: What will opening day look like tomorrow in the KBO? Granny, you're not going to see some things that you're used to, like ballplayers spitting or like high fives. And you're going to see umpires wearing masks and gloves. But by and large... It's going to be baseball as we know it. There are going to be singles, there are going to be doubles, there are going to be strikeouts. Because it's Korea, there are going to be tremendous, wonderful bat flips. And, and more than anything, there's going to be baseball. And I don't know if this is a light at the end of the tunnel because things have gone so differently in Korea. You know, they, they are lower than 10 coronavirus cases per day right now, but the fact that they're playing it all I think gives us hope here that we are going to see baseball at some point this year. What specifically do we know that baseball is watching there and paying close attention to to inform what may happen when they are ready to come back here? I think they're looking at a few things. Number one, what protocols do the KBO have in place? For example, when you're a player or an employee and you go into a stadium there, you are getting your temperature taken. And they've been doing that for weeks now. Uh, I spoke with one team and it's interesting. You know, we talk about testing, testing, testing. At least one team in the KBO right now is not regularly testing. They're looking for symptoms, whether it's a temperature, whether it's a cough or something like that. And if something comes up, they will test a player. It's important to note, if a player does test positive, or if any team employee, Greeny, tests positive, then the KBO uh, elders are going to get together, the people who run the league, and say, do we need to shut this down? And they have proposed a three-week shutdown of the league. Now, would they do that? We don't know necessarily, but that is at least on the table for the KBO.
2: There you go. Let's hope it works. And baseball leads us back to hopefully some type of normal. Yeah, I see it in my own neighborhood. Everybody's social distancing right now. If you're walking down the street, Someone usually, you stay on the sidewalk, someone goes into the street, and you keep going, you say hello, then they get back on the sidewalk. That's happening everywhere. I live across the street from the park here in San Jose. Literally, right across the street from me are Little League fields. And you'll see dads throwing to sons or daughters. You'll see people with their dogs. I mean, we're, we're doing this naturally now. Social distancing has become natural. And I, I'm assuming we'll see that with this baseball. But what baseball will mean, any sport. I don't watch NASCAR. I'll be honest with you. NASCAR has never done it for me. NASCAR gets on, I'm watching it. I'm surprised. I mean, I I, I could build a strategy for golf. I mean, golf's pretty simple. You can eat it's it's the it's the sport that's the easiest to do social distancing. You never even have to be around each other. Even if you hit the ball next to the other guy, you can stay 30 yards away, let him hit, and then you go up to your ball. Sterilize the golf cart. You don't even need to bring a caddy. Let them have a a, a laser finder so they can get their yardage. These guys all fly private jets anyway. So once we start seeing other sports and other leagues doing it, it makes it easier for Major League Baseball to start making some calls. But I can't wait to see it tonight. Uh, Can we, uh, not me, I would never do this. Can you wager on the game, Commander?
3: that's a great question I've seen people tweeting about that and uh, doing pro- talking about primers and stuff I, I don't know because I'm not I've never once bet on anything uh, unless you can't unless you count fantasy sports uh, I've never laid a bet on Vegas or Reno or anything I, I don't like to lose my money um, I'm very cheap as you know so I don't I don't do that but'm I've seen people tweeting about it and asking those questions let me find out I know some people that are involved in that circuit via ESPN that I could Get the answers for that. Our I mean, old friend Joe like Fortenbaugh the, uh, will be able to help.
2: NC, uh, NC Dinos? Or you like the Samsung Lions? I'm going to go Lions. Samsung Lions.
3: Uh, I'd have to look at the rosters, but I'm going to go with uh...
2: mm.
3: – Who would you take? You took the Lions? I'll take NC.
2: Samsung. I don't know much about the KBO.
3: I just know I'll take. The,
2: I'm, I'm ready to learn.
3: I know I'll take the Kia Tigers because Matt, Matt Williams is managing the team.
2: And the way you say tiger Tigers.
3: It's an East Coast thing.
2: Tigers. Tigers. I don't even know how many teams do they have in the league.
3: I'm still trying to learn. I'm learning the league on the fly, as you are. <laughs>
2: so dude, I looked it up. The Samsung Lions are a South Korean professional baseball team founded in 1982. They are based in the southern eastern city of Dagu, I think. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, and are members of the KBO League. Their home stadium is Dagu Samsung Lions Park. They have won the Korean series eight times. Oh, yeah, I'm picking the right team, baby. We're going Samsung Lions. They're eight-time KBO champions. 82, 84, 85, 86, 87, 89. Wait a minute, they've won it more than eight times. Oh, no, no. They won in 85, 2002, 2005, 2006, 2011, 2012, 2013. Well, we've had a drought. They haven't won it since 2014. We might be getting on the wrong horse here.
3: Do you know who's playing over in, in uh, the KBO? Does the name Adrian Sampson mean anything to you? Adrian Sampson? No. He was the guy that got mad when Mark Canna bat flipped and Ramon Laureano. What do they, what the are they know? The, the guy was on the Rangers last year. He playing in Korea? Yep. The guy What? What? – what is the Korean League known for? As Jeff Passon laid out, and he's been tweeting about it all day long with great gifs. Uh, they're known for bat flipping. So – Wait
2: a minute. How's a guy <laughs> – how is he playing? in te- how is he not on a big league team?
3: Uh, I don't. He's on. He's over there playing on the same team as Dan, the K-Man Straley. So they're they're teammates. Wow. Former Pirates wait. draft pick and hater of the bat flip. Now over in Korea, where they wait for it, bat flip all the time. This country needs some bat flips. We're. I'm ready for some bat flips. Uh, I'm waiting for I, – I always am a fan of that. I was trying to look at some of the players we might know that played over there. One of them was uh, Byung-ho Park, who played two years with the Twins. I remember him because it was a big deal when the Twins signed him a couple years ago. Uh, in two seasons with the Twins, he had a negative .3 war. Uh, he hit 12 home runs and hit 191. But he's one of the best players in Korea. So, uh, he's one of the guys to look at. They have Casey Kelly, a, first, a, former number one, uh, a former first-round pick of the Boston Red Sox playing over there. Dan Straley, who we mentioned. Um, Aaron Brooks is over there. Raul Alcantara is over there. Matt Williams is managing, which the team that Matt Williams is managing won that the league title two years ago in 2017. Well, it'd be three years ago now. Uh, but apparently they've been pretty bad the last couple of years. So hopefully Matt Williams is able to fix, you know, right in the ship there. But I'm looking forward to seeing Bath Flips. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that's they do it all the time, and I can't wait to watch it.
2: I don't know who any, any of these guys are. I have no idea. All right, I don't care. I I, seriously, I literally don't care. I bet these games. I bet these games get great ratings.
3: People aren't sleeping anyway. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, we're going to be watching, so.
2: Oh yeah, ten o'clock tonight. Are you kidding me? I can't wait.
3: Do you want ratings? Huh? Do you want, I'll let you finish this. Do you want ratings? I have ratings on The Last Dance and how well that's doing on ESPN.
2: Oh, it's got to be killing
3: it. Uh, the, so they've reached massive audiences, averaging 5.8 million viewers across premieres of its first six episodes, which is 62% more viewers than the next closest documentary debut on ESPN, You Don't Know Bo, in 2012. The episodes last night got... Episodes five and six last night averaged five point five million viewers across ESPN and ESPN two from nine a.m. from nine p.m. to nine eleven Eastern time. So that would have been six to eight here for us. With episode five, nine, that would have been from six to seven, averaging five point eight million viewers. That's 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 ridiculous. That's how many people are watching the story of Michael Jordan in his final season?
2: Don't you love that he has like the he's got like the probably got whiskey or whatever he has next to him and a cigar. And the- And the cigar. Yeah,
3: I told Dino we should sit down and do that with with a glass of whiskey.
2: Because he's he's Michael Jordan. He can do whatever the hell he wants. I mean, literally, how famous he is is unbelievable. And watching that, and you're just like, how did Jerry Reinsdorf allow that to happen as the owner? Like, how dumb. Do you have to be? Charlie Finley was cheap. Charlie Finley knew free agent was coming. Free agency was coming. That's why he did what he did. That's not the problem for Reinsdorf's got plenty of money. The Bulls were printing money. You told one of the greatest players of all time, we don't need you anymore. When he was still, he was still the man. Last night, watching that, and Jordan in his final year with the Bulls is still the MVP of the All-Star game. It's just, it's crazy to think that you wouldn't you wouldn't ride this out. How many more titles do they win? Seven, eight, nine. How much more money? By the way, easy question. Easy question. You ready, Cody? You think you can answer this? Let's see. How many times have the Bulls been back to the NBA Finals since Jordan left?
3: Oh boy, I mean they had a couple. None. Yeah.
2: That means the Bulls, who had one of the great dynasties of all time, essentially killed their own dynasty. And they haven't done anything since nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. It's one of the dumbest things you got. I mean, it was it it's it's literally one of the worst business moves you've ever seen in professional sports. If you're saying Jordan sticks around a couple more years, how many more millions upon millions of dollars does Jerry Reinsdorf make with the Chicago Bulls? Oh, we're gonna rebuild. Yeah, how'd that go?
3: Uh, they're still rebuilding.
2: Yeah, you got those draft picks. You let J- Jordan, you're out of here. We're gonna get draft picks. Yeah, how'd that work out? Oh,
3: how, my biggest takeaway from last night, I don't, I don't, and I don't know if you if these uh, fall in line with you, but how about when Jordan and and Pippen didn't like Tony Kukoc because, wait for it. Jerry Krause, <laughs> that was his guy. So they went after him in the in the Olympics, or when uh, Dan Marley. Oh, I, re-
2: I remember it. You got to remember. I'm in, you know, through the height of the run and their championships. I was in college, and then i i, I started working in this business ninety six ninety seven. So I was. I, I live the you know a lot of us re- remember every little bit of this, because Jordan and the Bulls came around. Now ESPN's at its height, right? You know it starts up. You know when ESPN was first going on. Let's face it, it was Canadian football, it was uh, Australian
3: rules football, rugby. <laughs> I mean, it was you know. They were really the Ocho back then.
2: <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a whole <laughs> lot going on. But then now they start, you know, they've got the contract with Major League Baseball. They got the contract with the NBA. They got all this stuff. And now Jordan comes along and the internet, you know, Jordan Jordan was the first star when we started using the internet. Hell, the internet really wasn't even around when I was in college. So, but what a player he was and a kill your own dynasty.
3: Well, just the idea that the players want to add guys they're playing against because the GM didn't like them. So they, they didn't Jordan didn't like Dan Marley because of Jerry Krause liked him, and then there was a the whole thing with Clyde Drexler where he didn't like him being mentioned in the same breath as him in the '92 finals. How many guys from the '70s A's went out there and said, "Hey, I don't like this guy because Charlie Finley likes him. We're going to go at him." Like I, that's a good question for Fossey.
2: Yeah, and uh, how about uh, how about uh, Isaiah Thomas? They all hated him. Those those. The- you know what? The bad boys and the back to back championships and the way they played. But in the end that it made everybody hate Isaiah. So he didn't get on the dream team. You know Bird hated those guys. Magic, Magic and Isaiah, who once were kissing on the court, didn't like each other anymore. Jordan hated him. Pippin hated him. Unbelievable. Let's talk a little Boston Red Sox baseball. Eighty four and seventy eight last year. No more Mookie Betts, no more David Price, Chris Sale on the shelf with Tommy John surgery. We take a look at the 2020 Boston Red Sox with their TV voice, Dave O'Brien. Well, we love to bring on familiar voices during this time. And, of course, we've been covering every single division. And right now we're on the AL East And we're going to be talking about the Boston Red Sox with their legendary TV voice, Dave O'Brien. Dave, thank you for coming on the program. And it's just great to have you and talking a little baseball.
8: A legend in my own mind anyway, Chris. I appreciate it. It's great to have, uh, have a couple of minutes just to talk baseball. Isn't it for a change? Because... We're so wrapped up in, in this dire situation, totally understandable. But just to talk a little hardball is very nice once in a while.
2: Well, it, today's, today's kind of a historic day as South Korea is starting to play baseball. It's Tuesday there, obviously Monday here. And really kind of the outcome and how they do it is really going to teach not only Japan, because they'll obviously start before us, but then Major League Baseball. So today's kind of a historic day.
8: I think it's, it is for not just baseball, to be honest with you, but for all sports to see how this gets handled because the NFL, they want to play and they want to start playing their games on schedule, but it really is going to come down to how this works without fans in the stands and can players stay healthy? That's the most important thing. Can they actually stay on the field? You, you and I have walked into many clubhouses and many locker rooms, and it's amazing to me how guys don't get sick more often when they're in such close quarters. So yeah, all of this is going to be a test for can sports return. We're going to watch from afar here in the United States, but it's very close to us. And we're all, you know, we're also eager to get sports back as a part of our lives again.
2: You know, one of the strange things about looking at the Red Sox is, you know, I'm still a dinosaur. I like buying these preview magazines and they have all the projected lineups, and every one of these magazines still has Mookie Betts as a as a Red Sox and David Price. I just, what was it like starting spring training and Mookie Betts is not there? Yeah,
8: I, I'm gonna go and, and buy more of those because those are good days to remember Mookie in the lineup. You know, and not having him is so strange because. You know, Mookie wasn't and is not that you know over the top personality. Neither is David Price, by the way. Despite what some people might think, they both pretty much do their job. They they get after it. Price had issues in town. One of them with Dennis Eckersley. I think everybody read that or knows something about that. But you know, generally they were just guys who did their job. They showed up and went to work. Uh, but we we miss Mookie Betts. Is you know every night either in the one hole or the three hole or wherever he was going to hit or in right field. I've been telling people this since the trade to the Dodgers, that where we're going to miss Mookie is about seven times a week. A catch is not being made either a foul ball that he catches in a ridiculous way down the right field line at Fenway. You've been at Fenway. You know how tough that right field is. It's the most difficult in baseball. He played it like an absolute master that's where i think we're going to miss him more than any other single thing but it's flat strange not to have either one of those guys because you know we recently won a world championship with mookie and right field and david price doing an amazing job in the, in the postseason
2: yeah think about that mookie bets as a dodger and tom brady as a buccaneer
8: yeah yeah strange time for new englanders and, and look this offseason, and you're aware of this, but I, I don't know, you know folks who don't follow baseball as closely, this was the most tumultuous offseason the Red Sox have had maybe ever. I mean, Dave Dombrowski was the general manager. Dave got fired before the season even ended. you know. And then there was all the speculation about Mookie Betts and then eventually about David Price as well. They get shipped out. There was the whole investigation by Major League Baseball with the Red Sox cheating. I think they came back with not so much. It really wasn't that big a deal. It felt like a slap on the wrist, if anything. And and all of these things just happened over the course of three or four months. Boston and New England are sports crazy, and there's always a lot of news, but there was more coming out of Fenway Park in this winter than I've ever seen before.
2: You know, Dave is somebody that that means a lot to me because he was the first GM I ever interviewed – back in 1997 when he was with the Marlins. So we always joke about how young I was. And over the years, he's been so gracious. I was just, Mm -hmm. I was shocked. The guy wins the World Series. Next thing you know, he's losing his job. What happened there?
8: Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of the deals that were done, just take one, for example, take Nate Evaldi or take Chris Sale, who will not pitch again until, you know, if everyone's fortunate, 2021 uh, those deals, a lot of people felt probably didn't have to be made. Maybe Dave overpaid. Maybe he should have allowed free agency to become. And then, of course, what to do with Mookie Betts. That decision wasn't made until David left, until David was fired. So, uh, but I'm with you because I was with Dave Dombrowski with the Florida Marlins. Uh, he, Dave was an original Florida Marlin, and so was I as a broadcaster. My uh, friendship with David goes back 25, 30 years, and I think he's phenomenal. I think he's one of the great general managers in the game. He did exactly what he was asked to do. Uh, come in, take advantage of the resources you have in Boston that are unlike most places, win a championship. He did that. But that doesn't mean that they didn't look at David's record and go, you know what, maybe we have to, we have to cut down the budget Cut payroll. He's not that kind of guy necessarily. Not at this point in his career. And a change was made, and, and the Red Sox are very happy with what they did.
2: Yeah, I, I see him as a Hall of Famer. You think from the Expos to the Marlins to the Tigers, yep. uh, I, I believe someday he will be a Baseball Hall of Famer, and he's, he's a wonderful man. And uh, he is. Yep. What an absolute great career. And I think about you. You know, you talk about how passionate people are in New England. But the Red Sox are king. What is it like being the TV voice and knowing how many people watch you on a nightly basis in New England? Yeah,
8: you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you could have as many as and this is actually rated several times in 2018 when the Red Sox were amazing. Uh, we had audiences of a million two, a million five a night. Uh, you know, all through New England. And that's extraordinary. I mean, a lot of network broadcasts, as you know, don't come anywhere near that uh, for, for major league baseball. So that's a regional franchise drawing those kind of numbers. It's marvelous because everybody is so invested and it's not just one city. It's six States. It's a big region of the country. They're all red Sox nuts. That's the only team in town. It's the only major league franchise. And the fans here are really, really well-educated. Now, I'm partial because I was born in Quincy, Massachusetts. I'm a Boston kid. I was raised on the South Shore of Massachusetts. So it was coming home for me to take the Red Sox radio and then TV jobs. But I, I do believe they are the best-educated fans in the game. I think they really understand the, the sport. And, and I think what's happened over the course of the John Henry-Tom Werner Ownership has been incredible. I mean, to win four championships, when I was a kid, all we did was lose tragically. Now the expectations, here's the, the flip side of this, expectations are always just about one thing. We got to have another parade, you know, at the end of the season on Boylston Street. And it's not that easy, not, not by a long shot, not in any professional sport.
2: You know, first you mentioned Fenway Park. First time I went to Fenway Park, and we talked off the air about how my family is from Massachusetts, and I, I was 11 years old. It was early summer. Cal Yastrzemski hit a home run, and Rod Carew was still hitting 400 for the Angels. I'll never forget <laughs> that. And, right. Yeah. Every every single time I go to Fenway, you just you can just picture Babe Ruth and 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 Ted Williams. And it's just it's like a museum. It's it, it's 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 absolutely there's not. I love Wrigley. But if I had to see one baseball game and if I wanted to have one and I had to tell somebody, if you've never been to a baseball game and you got to see one, it should be at Fenway Park.
8: I I could not agree more. And, you know, you you remember those colors in your mind's eye, Chris. You know, the first time you walked up the concourse and you see the field at Fenway. It's the greenest green you've ever seen in your life. And then there's that monster, which is the quirkiest thing. It looks like it's 900 feet high, and it's right in your face. And my memories are the same, seeing Carl Yastrzemski, number eight. I remember walking up the right field line near the pesky pole. First game I ever saw at Fenway. I was with my grandmother who had taken me to a day game. We got on the T, which is the subway system, at, at above ground subway system here in Boston. Took me to Fenway Park with my grandmother. I was like seven years old. And seeing the back of Carl Yastrzemski, just that number eight, but the, the, the number was in red, and the, the uniform he wore was a pristine white. It was the whitest I'd ever seen. Those colors are so embedded in my mind. And Fenway is a magical place. It is a museum. You're exactly right. I mean, there's not another ballpark in the game where there's a ladder connected to the left field wall and it's in play for crying out loud. No one ever hits it. Well, once every 10 years they hit it, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing place to go to work every day. And I really thank my stars and you know, it sounds corny and everything, but I grew up here. I never thought I'd get to do games at Fenway park to be able to do it. I I really think it's a, it's such a magical place.
2: Yeah. Probably a little more special than Joe Robbie, right? A little bit. Yeah. Although look, that was very cool
8: to, to be on the ground floor, you know, for an expansion team playing at Joe Robbie stadium. That was awesome. In the first year or two, the crowds were great. It looked like baseball was going to be very successful. And that franchise, that was Dave Dombrowski. That franchise won a world championship in five years. Uh, you know, no one saw that coming as quickly as it happened.
2: Yeah. You know, well, I always laugh because as we got older and, uh, could that now really experience Fenway, it's crazy you can be in the bar and it's really like 15 steps in the ballpark.
8: Yes, exactly, exactly. It's, it's the most intimate sports setting, certainly for baseball, that, that you're going to find anywhere. Everything is close. You feel like you're part of the action. And that's, that's part of the charm of it, I think, for players too. For some guys, it's a little too close. But if you have the right mentality to play here – It's not, and and you really feed off of that crowd. And and that's one of the things that's going to be very interesting to me when baseball returns, as I hope it will, in front of, you know, no fans. uh, Are players going to scuffle with that? You know, not to be able to feed off that adrenaline and the excitement that can often be generated out of the fans. I, I saw Buck Showalter had a comment on that the other day. I think he's exactly right. There are some players who need that in order to perform those who who do need it and are not going to get it, they may really scuffle.
2: You know, when I think about the AL East, you know, we we know all about the Rays, obviously, with the wild card game. And I think our organizations are very similar. We know all about the Yankees. And this layoff is allowing the Yankees to get healthy because they were going to start the season not healthy. I think about Mookie Betts being gone. I think about David Price being gone. I think about Chris Sale being gone. But in a shortened season hopefully, that we're going to have, Dave, it's really anybody's game.
8: Well, you know, there was one simulation that, that I saw uh, that of the three divisions of 10 teams in each division that had the Red Sox surprisingly winning the East, going 60-40, and 40, assuming 100 games would be played. And, and believe me, a lot of New Englanders would not have believed that because of what you were just talking about, the subtractions, from effectively a championship team a couple of years ago, but the same guys, and how can, you, how can you be a good ball club? Well, I think the Red Sox, in a shortened season, can probably, like a lot of other teams, hide some of their issues, you know, hide some of their weaknesses, and the, the predominant one is going to be starting pitching because at this point, you know, another guy, Rick Porcello is gone. Rick Porcello is now a Met uh, via free agency. So you're right. A lot of the look of a recent championship team, especially in the pitching staff, is gone, but over a shorter run and a quirkier schedule, crazy things can happen. The one thing I'll tell you about the Red Sox of of 2020 is that they're going to hit, they're going to hit, and they're going to score runs, even without Mookie Betts. I mean, you've seen Raphael Devers, you've seen Xander Bogarts. I mean, these two guys are moving into the prime of their career as heart of the order hitters and they're both, they're both coming off spectacular years. And I think they're going to be even better. The Red Sox will score runs as they typically do.
2: Let's end on this. We talked about the passion of the fans in New England, and there's a ton of passion there in the Northeast for baseball. You think of the Yankees, you think of the Red Sox, but you also did games for the ACC Network. What is college basketball like down there in the ACC? Well, typically
8: it's great. I mean, I've covered the ACC for years on ESPN and, and this year almost exclusively on the ACC network. The league was down this year with North Carolina uh, being no semblance of what they typically were. They had a lot of injuries, had a, a tough time with their point guard. But it is, it's is—it's a lot like uh, religion any place else. I mean, college basketball on Tobacco Road, is, is a religious experience for these folks, particularly when you're talking about North Carolina Duke. But it's not just them. I mean, you've got NC State hates North Carolina. NC State and Duke hate each other. There's a lot of good old-fashioned hate down there in the, in, the, in the ACC, and it's a blast because the games are so important. And, and you know as well as I do, Chris, this is what it comes It's why we're in sports. The games are important to people. They're important to Americans. They're important to people all over the country. That's why we need to get them back. You know, this is this is going to be such a huge time coming up into the summer and the fall. If we can be successful getting, you know, professional and then college sports back, it's just going to be better for everybody.
2: Have we ever figured out what a Demon Deacon is? A Demon Deacon is one, uh, this year, not, not too
8: nasty as it turned out, but it's a, it's, it's a great logo. I'm sure you've seen it. The logo for Wake Forest is actually one of the better ones in the league. Uh, they just fired Danny Manning. They need, you know, going to bring a new coach in. They're having a tough time getting back to the days where they were a very competitive program. Uh, but I, I, they're, that's actually a fun place to go and visit. All of those stops are really a blast to, uh, to be at. But there's nothing like being at Cameron Indoor for a big game, uh, you know, on a Saturday afternoon in the heart of the college basketball season in the ACC. It's marvelous.
2: Dave, it's great to hear your voice. We really appreciate the time breaking down the 2020 Boston Red Sox. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll see you at the Coliseum soon.
8: I look look forward to it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, good guy. And his daughter, Sammy, dates our own Alex Jensen, part of the A's family.
3: The voice of the Stockton Ports.
2: What is a demon deacon? Does anybody know? I mean, okay, they got they got a Wikipedia. The Demon Deacon is a mascot of Wakefield. Okay, loaded and located in Winston, Salem, North Carolina. Probably best known for its slightly unorthodox an name and appearance. The Demon Deacon has become the mainstay in the world of U.S. college mascots. Uh They were known as the Baptist or the old gold and black.
3: Wake Forest has an article on their website. The history of the Demon Deacon blends tradition, sports, and religion. It goes back to the roaring 20s when a school reporter gave the football team the nickname Demon Deacons after a devilish win over the Trinity Blue Devils, known as the Duke Blue Devils. At the time, Wake Forest was the only college in the state without a mascot. In 1941, Jack R. Baldwin took on a fraternity brother's dare and dressed up as what he thought an old-time Baptist deacon would. Top hat, tuxedo, and carrying a black umbrella. The crowd, football crowd loved it, and the tradition was born. In 1980, the demon deacon evolved into a complete costume with the large deacon head. All right, there you go.
2: Uh, Biggest pop culture connection. For every team, our friend of the program, Will Leach, put down a list for every team, and there's no doubt the the A's is easy. Pop culture, Moneyball, and he says Billy Bean gets to walk around the rest of his life knowing that Brad Pitt played him in a movie.
0: You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy.
2: (laughs) It's a a fun movie. Eight men out for the White Sox. Little big league for the Twins. For the love of the game, the Tigers and Kevin Costner. It's a fun list on MLB.com. Pride of the Yankees, obviously, is going to be the Yankees. Goodwill hunting with the Red Sox. How about them apples? What a fun list. Did you read through it, Cody?
3: Yeah, I love the Mets one. Keith Hernandez and the second spitter on Seinfeld. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the rookie. The heartwarming story of Jim Morris ending with him making his debut in a Rays uniform. And it's a big climactic moment of this stirring movie.
3: Angels in the Outfield for the Pirates. What? The Pirates are the, are the team in the original 1951 movie with Janet Leigh nine years before Psycho. Oh,
2: oh the Pirates were uh, – what's the f- the fish that something Pittsburgh? Oh,
3: yeah. Uh, what's that movie called? Isn't that with, like – there's something famous in that, right? Yeah. It was... It's like the f- something to save Pittsburgh. The fish that saved Pittsburgh in 1979. Yeah. How's uh, that? Who who was in it? Oh, Dr. J. What the, wasn't Dr. J that was in the movie? <laughs> yeah,
2: Dr. J. Dr. J was a big deal back in the day. Kareem's He's in it, too. Hall of Famer.
3: Kareem's in it also. I've never seen, seen the, the movie. But, uh, Jonathan Winters.
2: Metal Lemon's yeah, in the movie. Metal Lemon, things. yeah. Come on. James- How's that not
3: James Bond the <laughs> third. Who?
2: How's, how's, how's that? You got Jonathan Winters was a star. You got Doctor J a star. Metal arc Lemon a star. You got Kareem Abdul Jabbar. I you, you got to get a hold of your Marv Alberts in the movie. Yes.
3: Uh Pearl and I were myself and Matt Pearl during the interview with Dave O'Brien were exchanging messages talking about the greatest legends ever go to Syracuse and he brought up Marv and I just did the my first line back to him besides yes was what a spectacular move by Michael Jordan that he that he was famous for. Uh, I'm looking through this list. Uh the, he put the Giants as and San Allen's Andreas. In
2: the movie, she's famous. I I, I I think he really he really missed the boat on on your Pittsburgh Pirates.
3: I agree. I don't uh I don't get it's it.
2: about it's not about baseball though, so maybe that's why it, it doesn't make well, it. Either,
3: either is either San Andreas and that's what he put down for the Giants. The climax <laughs> of the movie features the Rock driving a motorboat through a sunken Oracle Park.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a I, I never saw that. I, it just looked bad.
3: Uh I would think the fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, because Wesley Snipes was the best player on the Giants, but he put that as the Rockies since the Rockies haven't had many movies, but they were the other team in the fan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's not what it is. That's, that's, that's terrible. Coming up next, we have A's that are doing great things in the community. We've talked to Liam Hendricks about it. We've talked to Ramon Laureano about it. And now it's Sean Manaya who is doing his part to help the frontline workers that we have here in the Bay Area, both in Oakland and in San Francisco. The big left-hander will join us next, right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend.
2: So I just sent the commander an article that I cannot wait to get into uh, Wednesday with Ray Fossey. So I'm on the email list for the Baseball Hall of Fame. All of you can be on it, too. And they send out articles. Did you know, back in the day, there were some great left-handed throwing catchers? And no one will even give them a shot now. But back in the day, there was lefty catchers. And obviously, there's more right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters. So that's why... Baseball went away from the left-handed catcher, but that's a that's a lost
3: thing in Major League Baseball. The left-handed throwing catcher. I always found that to be an oddity that we didn't see that you know somewhat more. I mean, I figured we'd see more left-handed catchers, and we would see a left-handed third baseman ever or a left-handed shortstop. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'd love to see a left-handed shortstop or third base, especially during the shift. Uh, that'd be that'd be great to see, but. um yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Fosse has to say about the left-handed catcher. Yeah, why do we discriminate against lefties? Play short. Why can't he play short? You know what? I'm, when I play be The Show later or tomorrow, I'm going to take one of my players, or when I'm playing, and put them at shortstop and see how they do left-handed. It's ridiculous. You know who's got a left-handed catcher's glove? Emo. Oh, yeah? So they do make them. Interesting. We'll have to ask him about that next time we talk to him, too, because he would know. I mean, he's he knows everything. I mean, what if what, what, what a guy just has a rocket
2: arm, he's great at framing pitches, he gets you strikes. Why would it matter? People don't steal bases anyway anymore. We're you, discriminating against left-handed
3: throwers. I'm just, I'm just impressed that you brought up pitch framing because we had that whole argument of how that – Oh, the importance of pitch framing. Well, it is important, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> the the some somewhat the the uh, importance that they some teams might put on it is a little ridiculous. When everyone like, Austin Hedges, he's the best pitch framer in baseball. The Padres stink. They, he might be great, but the Padres stink. The other guys that are on the high on the list. They play for good teams. The Padres stunk. Um, well, they might be better this year. We'll see. Because I uh, remember I told you in the baseball. Uh, Baseball reference simulated season. Worst team in Major League Baseball. Ten in twenty five. Bob Townsend's Padres. Not getting it done could cost AJ Preller his job and whatever, whoever they have as their manager. They have like four of them. Who? Our guy Jace Never Tingler. Never heard
2: of him. Never heard of him. Jace Tingler.
3: Who the hell is
2: Jace Tingler?
3: He's just, he, he's keeping it warm for for Bruce Bochi.
2: Oh yeah, Bo- Bochi's <laughs> just sitting at his house and where does he live? Poway or something like that. He he he's just sitting at his house going, "Yeah, I'm going to take this year off, hang out and uh I'll be back behind the bench at Petco Park." And then it's going to be Bochi's return to what's it called again? Oracle Park, the one the rock oh, the, one the one the rock drove a boat through. Oh my God, ha- Gabe Kapler over
3: and under two years as as Giants manager over. You're gonna give him over two years? Yeah, they he they know it's a rebuild for them. Well, sorry, <clears throat> they don't use rebuild, retooling for them. They don't like the word rebuild, because um, clearly they're they're not rebuilding right now. Clearly, even though they have a top ten farm system and most of their players are old and they're all gonna be out of under, you know, they're gonna be gone eventually. Uh, I give him over two years. Because what's your other option? Do you want to you gonna get rid of another man? You gonna get rid of a manager after a year or two and bring someone else in, and maybe he's not the guy either. I mean, this isn't the Padres. What you're doing? You're getting rid of a manager all the time. Although Andy Green had a good, nice little run. Never won, but they had a nice little run.
2: You know, what I heard about him. Andy Green. Yeah. He's
3: a big fan of Andy Green. <sighs> Could see that. I think he's with the Cubs now. I think he, he might be – is he with the Cubs? I thought I want to say I think he's uh, he's Rossi's, like, bench coach or something. Yeah, he's the bench coach for the Chicago Cubs under you Rossi. Just,
2: you just sent me a very interesting article. I want to read this. But we want to play for you first our interview that we did with Shamanaya as Shamanaya is giving back to the community. Well, now joining us once again here on A's Cast Live, it's the big left-hander, Sean Mania. Last time he was here talking about his no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. Now he's delivering food to people who are out there busting their you-know-what for us and the frontline workers, whether it's Oakland EMS or firefighters in San Francisco. Sean, thank you for coming on again. And, and by the way, what a great gesture by gesture by you to do this for these people who are putting their lives on the line for us.
7: Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's just a small gesture, and uh, you know, it's the least I can do for uh, for everyone. So it's, uh, you know, I'm glad I could help, um, you know, a small way.
2: I know you're up in San Francisco recently. And it, you know, what's it like? These people's reaction when they get this gesture from you, what is it like? Uh,
7: well, so my uh, my girlfriend, she works. Uh, she's a um, EMC right now, but a paramedic for uh, San Francisco Fire. And uh, yeah, I don't know. When I told her that I was uh, thinking about doing that, you know, she was uh, just really excited, and um, you know, she was, you know, telling me that uh, everybody else would be, uh, ex- you know, excited that you know we got recognized too. And, and uh, you know, these guys are out there on the front lines and, and uh, you know, doing putting in work. So it's uh, um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, you know, nice to give back in uh, just this, this little way that I can.
2: You know what's so special about it, and I, I know you say it's a small gesture, but really for them, it just goes to show once again how much people appreciate them. And you're seeing this all over the country where people are applauding them as they come from work or go to work. And this gesture that you have done lets them know that we're thinking about them and we care about them. And I think that's why it's so special.
7: Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's you know pretty much everybody else's is. Uh, um, you know, without a job right now, not doing anything, and um, you know, besides that, I mean, they're they're out there uh, facing this this virus out there on the on the front lines pretty much. So it's uh, you know, it's crazy that they're uh, um, you know, out there and, and doing their thing, but you know, it's uh, it's all part of the job. But um, you yeah, know, I just thought it was a you know simple way to uh, show that that you we know, think about them and that they uh, you know deserve deserve some recognition uh, for all that they, they do for, for us to keep us safe. And, and uh, yeah, just everything like that.
2: Yeah. I'm really proud of you guys, the Oakland A's and we had Liam on, he did the same thing and you know, what you guys are doing, you show you really care. Cause in a time like this, it's just, it, it's special when athletes reach out. Cause so, so many times it's the, the fans applauding you. It's like, a, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a reversal role here. It's like, you're now applauding <laughs> people. It's like a total different deal.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, like you said, it's uh, usually the other way around, but um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're just baseball players and, um, you know, I guess we put, you know, uh, you know, smiles on people's faces for uh, playing a game, but um, you know, these, these guys are, uh, you know, doing some real stuff out there and um, confronting something that is very, very real and, and, uh, you know, putting their, you um, you know, lives out there on the, on the line. So it's, uh, you know, it's crazy, a different perspective. And, uh, you know, I really just you know appreciate everything that they've, uh, they've done so far.
2: Have you been following baseball reference where they're simulating the season on a daily basis and how the A's are doing and how you were doing?
7: Uh, no, I have not I've actually never even heard about this yet. So definitely have to check that out.
2: <laughs> so they're, they're doing every single game and okay. you, by the way you pitched yesterday. Oh, you, cool. Yeah, you went eight arm, shutout. You're going to love this. <laughs> you went eight shutout innings against the Rays, and you struck out eight and got the victory. Your record right now, and I wonder if you would take this, you're 4-1 and one with a 1.82 ERA.
7: <laughs> um,
2: you know what? Uh, I think I'm, I am I will take that. That sounds
7: like a, a pretty good year to start out the year so far. Oh, my gosh. Especially against those guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely need some uh, some redemption. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, no doubt about it. I knew you'd love it. And the uh, the A's <laughs> right now are twenty and fourteen. They lead the division by two. So e- even the simulation says that the A's are going to have a good team this year.
7: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I think we uh you know we all believe it. And uh, you know, uh, if this thing says says anything. And you know, have a season. Then uh, you know, let's get to it and uh, make this thing for real.
2: So right now, how, how are you keeping in shape? How are you keeping the arm in shape? How are you throwing? Who are you throwing with?
7: Uh, right now, just um, you know, I uh, um, find like uh, find some places to work out. Usually, uh, just do some body weight workout uh, stuff. Uh, usually, like a park. Uh, me and a couple of the guys from uh, from the A's, we've been throwing uh, together. We just got together on our own and. and um, um, you know, we pretty much just meet, meet up every day and then, uh, and throw and, um, you know, I usually come back home or work out at the, the park that we go to and uh, just do some bodyweight workout stuff, do a little bit of running. And then, uh, usually like I'll do some, uh, extended stuff. i usually go on a walk and, um, you know, usually get uh, more of my cardio for that. But, um, yeah, really it's just, uh, just doing that stuff, throwing, um, you know, trying to get into some other stuff like, uh, um, I don't know, doing uh, some like yoga, doing some, uh, some other stuff like that. And then, uh, um, yeah, really just using this time to uh, try and do learn some more skills, um, you know, learn Spanish, um, doing all that stuff, and uh, just trying to keep my mind occupied. And, uh, you know, obviously think about season, think about pitching and doing all that stuff. And, uh, you know, just really taking this time to try and better myself in uh, every way that I can.
2: That's great to hear because that's one thing we've been asking everybody: like, what are you doing a deep dive on? Whether it's a certain book series, it's Netflix. You know, that's one thing we've been asking everybody, like, like, what are you doing to pass the time? So you've learned Spanish.
7: Uh, I wouldn't say I definitely haven't learned it. I'm still at the very, uh, very beginning stages, but um, you know, I've definitely uh, been committed to it. Uh, I'm just doing Duolingo right now, and um, you know, there's been I've, I've had it for a while, um, but I've never actually stuck to it. So um, today will be day 21. Uh, I'm a hot streak, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, I've, you know, some days I'm you know I'll do like an hour or two, some days you know just do like five minutes or whatever I can get in. And, um, but I think the important thing is that I've you know stay consistent and at least for these uh, these 21 days, um, just uh, just done it every day. And um, that's something I haven't actually done before. So in that aspect, I'm pretty, uh, pretty proud of myself. Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, go, you know, it's going very, very slow right now, but um, you know, as long as I keep doing it, then uh, all I can ask for. You
2: know, I, I did two years of Spanish in high school. I was so bad at it and growing and growing up in San Diego, you know, we went to Tijuana all the time and mm-hmm. uh, I realized as long as I could say Cerveza and El Baño, I was good. <laughs>
7: You know how to, uh, yeah, you'd be able to work your way around there. Yeah, that's awesome.
2: (laughs) So, you know how hard it is to throw a no-hitter. And on this day in baseball history in 1991, Nolan Ryan would throw his last no-hitter. It would be (laughs) his seventh no-hitter. And check this out. He was 44 years old.
7: I mean, that man's just uh, a walking, just, I don't even know the word, like, hyperbole uh what like, he's just a he's a legend all this stuff that he's he's done like accomplished in his career like it's it's crazy that he's able to uh to last that long you know I Think think what do you have like 26 years 27 like, in the show?
2: 27 27?
7: i mean i'm 20 like that's literally my whole life that <laughs> he uh he pitched in the big leagues that's crazy <laughs>
2: I know, I mean I'm looking at this like his last year was 1993. He was 46 years old. He had 807 starts. I mean it's yeah. crazy when you look at his numbers. And then also on this day, Ricky Henderson would break Lou Brock's record for stolen bases. And we've been mm-hmm. going, we've been going these legends. I mean the numbers that you see, you go. You look at Nolan Ryan's strikeouts. No one's touching that. How about Ricky Henderson? Yeah. He stole 1,406 yeah. bags in his career.
7: Yeah, I definitely don't think that's going to be broken uh, at least anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just like a unobtainable like goal, you know? Like that's that's unheard of. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's crazy that. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, when you look at the, like all the numbers and like all the crazy stats that are in baseball, and then. You know, like the, the home run records and the hit records and, and all that stuff. Like, it's, yeah, it's just mind boggling um, to think that all that stuff happened and it's like, that high of a level. It's just, it's wild to think about. Wild. Yeah,
2: he, he played 25 years. He holds the record also for 2,295 runs scored, which is mind boggling. You get to be around mm-hmm. him. How much have you ever been able to interact with Ricky Henderson, the Hall of Famer?
7: Uh yeah, I mean he he shows up around uh, the clubhouse all the time. Um yeah you know, I I, uh, I don't usually play cards that much, but I know he's always uh, like in the clubhouse playing cards, whether it be like casino. I think casino is one of his favorite games. Um just because it's like a one v one kind of situation, and uh you know I think he likes whooping up on some of the uh, the younger guys and um <laughs> you know, just uh um, just talking and and stuff. So um yeah I mean. Yeah, every day I, like, I, I see him, it's like, oh, he's just, uh, another, another guy, um, you know, he just shows up around the clubhouse, and, uh, you know, meshes in with the, uh, the guys, and then, then when you, like, realize it's, like, Ricky Henderson, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, this guy's a, you guy's the goat, you know, um, for what he's uh, been able to do for the game, and, you know, what he's, uh, what he's accomplished, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun having him around, and, uh, you know, I get a, you know, talking back with, uh, family members, and stuff, it's, uh, you know, they're pretty jealous that I get it. Like I'm able to, um, you know, interact with, uh, with Ricky Henderson. It's pretty, pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. That's one of the great things about baseball is we always honor our great players and bring them back. And, uh, ricky is uh, if you're ever gonna have a conversation who's the best of all time he's gonna be in that conversation <laughs> hey thank you for yeah. stopping by uh, uh what you're doing it means a lot it really does these first responders need our love and of course your girlfriend is one and she's a hero and what you're doing for these heroes is something very special and we just all want to say thank you because during this time you know, we need people to step up for the people who are protecting us, and and we're doing that. And you're one of them. Be well down in Arizona. Take care, and we'll talk to you later on.
7: Sounds good. Thank you very much, guys.
2: Sean Manaya, look at these guys. It's been great. You know, they 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 they, they get it. Our guys get it, and I'm sure other major league baseball players are doing this all over, all over the country. Of course, we're going to honor the A's guys. And, you know, and, and it's funny that we've been hearing them say, yeah, you know, I know it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It really, really, really is a big deal. What you're doing for these first responders. And, you know, to let them know that we care about them and everybody like 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 Cody, your fiance. You know, she they're still going to have to deliver babies during this. And she's still got to go to work and she still has to do her job and be safe.
3: As we joke, uh, she's going to be very busy in nine, about eight or nine months from now when there's a baby boom again because everyone's stuck inside. So. You know she's busy now, but I can only imagine in you know eight to nine months from now how busy the, the her hospital is going to be because they're already the bit you know they're already busy enough where she's at, and it's only going to get you know in less than a year from now we're probably going to see a lot of babies being born and uh, we can see baby boomers part two, pretty much.
2: Well, I, I, I know your fiance has talked to us about it off the air, and my good friend Jason Babcock who was just getting chemotherapy. The doctor at the hospital he was at said, told him, hospital's empty. We got empty hospitals all over the Bay Area. People are afraid to go in. There's no surgeries. There's, you know, you either are treating COVID patients or you're delivering babies. But most of the hospitals are empty. Good, good, Sam, which is a huge hospital by us. Supposedly not a lot of people in it.
3: It's a huge hospital, too. Like a huge
2: I've had to I I've, I've been there when my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes, I was there when my other daughter broke her arm. I've been through that emergency a couple of times. I know what it's like. But I and I I have another friend who who needed I can't remember he needed like a pers- he couldn't get what he needed from his regular doctor, so he went to Good Sam, which when you're in that emergency room, that thing's packed. Every single time I've been there, it's packed. He walked right in. He walked right in. So Weird times, but good for Shamanaya because I do think it means a lot and it means a lot. Whenever you're working your butt off and people say thank you, it means something. Doesn't matter what profession you're in. When you're working hard and you're grinding it and you're in stress and whether it's your boss, whether it's people you work with or people just tell you thank you, it does mean a lot. You know, it's been a while since we've talked to Sean Doolittle. When was the last time we talked to Do?
3: I was thinking about that. I can't remember if we had him before the – I think we had him before the World Series. So we didn't talk – because after they won the World Series, we had Chip Hale on. So I think we had on before the World Series. Because I remember uh, he asked me to grab him uh, two of the unicorn fanny packs from the Coliseum when we were doing that giveaway last year. And – he, I think that's like the last time we talked to him, so it was before the World Series of last year.
2: I cannot remember the last time I rooted so hard for a team that wasn't the A's. I was rooting for the Nationals. I wanted them to win. I wanted them to win for Chappelle, Kurt Suzuki, Sean Doolittle. I hate the Astros. The Professor Matt Pearl, who worked around the Nationals for all those years. I was, I was, I, I seriously, I normally watch in the World Series. It, it, I just watch it, it doesn't have an effect on me. But this one, I was rooting so hard and was so glad to see them win. And Sean Doolittle, like Liam Hendricks, Does a lot for people away from the field. Sean and his wife are great. And we got to watch him grow. He's going to join us next. The new World Series champion, but will always be a part of the A's family. Sean Doolittle will join us right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the East Bay... A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
2: You, you know what's fascinating as an A's fan is something flipped. I don't know what it is, but there was a time when flat out, I just didn't want to be A's. They didn't. They didn't want to play here. And it's like, oh, God, I got to play for the A's. And then there there, there was something that flipped, you know, because you had those great runs, you know, starting in like 2000. And those teams loved being here. But then those guys left. And then there was just like, eh, this place is terrible, the stadium, blah, 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 blah. And then there was like a rebirth and it started in 2012 where you had these players who wanted to be here. Sean Doolittle loved being an A. Josh Donaldson loved being an A. Yohannes Cespedes didn't want to leave. He's had that conversation with Bob Melvin. Like all of a sudden these guys, they became Oakland A's and they loved playing in front of you. Sean Doolittle was one of those guys. Sean Doolittle, after we did the interview, Sean Doolittle texted back to uh, the commander saying that, uh, oh, one other thing, because of me, you have Jesus Lazardo now, and he's going to be special.
3: <laughs> yeah, I love that. His response for abandonment was, and don't let anyone forget that I helped bring you guys Lazardo. My last act as an A, that kid is special.
2: <laughs> hey, like a lot of A's, some guys come back. You never know. Billy likes to bring back players, so and so does David. So you never know if we'll see Sean Doolittle again in the green and gold. But here's my conversation with the new World Series champion. Now joining us here on A's Cast Live. He was a terrific A, and we rooted for him all the way through the World Series. He's a two-time All-Star and now a World Series champion. The great Sean Doolittle is back it's great to hear you how are you down in florida
9: what's up Tony? thanks for having me um we're doing okay man we're we're hanging in there we are uh we're safe down here in florida right now uh once the season got delayed it just really felt like less moving parts to get all of our stuff and our dogs home and you know we weren't sure about the timetable of of this delay so we're staying here in Florida. We can, I can take advantage of the weather and and get outside and improvise workouts and try to stay in shape. So, uh, we're doing okay.
2: You know, they've been airing games from 2012 and it's amazing. You look like you're like, you're like a little kid out there compared to what you look (laughs) like now.
9: (laughs) And that's how I felt too, man. I mean, everything, um, you know i was 25 uh, during that run and um, i might have turned 26 by the time the season ended um, i forget the timeline my birthdays at the end of september so um but like everything the the route i took to get to the big leagues um, i was just so happy to be there and everything was so new i was i was so bright-eyed and um, just kind of in awe of everything and trying to soak it all in and enjoy it as much as I possibly could. I felt my whole uh, I've, I've worked my whole career to try to get that mindset back, man, because I was just so in the moment and, and enjoying every second of it and soaking it all in.
2: I will never forget you coming up. I did your first radio interview and I remember telling you, This is like a Disney story. I mean, here you were supposed to be the first baseman. I mean, that every you know, we followed you through the minor leagues. We thought you were going to be the guy. Then all of a sudden, your career's done. Then all of a sudden, you're pitching. And you (laughs) rode through the system so fast. And all of a sudden, you're up throwing in these meaningful games. You've only pitched one year, and you're pitching in huge games. The story is actually crazy when you look back.
9: It is. It, it, trust me. Like I, I, it's given me an incredible amount of perspective, um, looking back on my career and and um, thinking about how close it all came to almost not happening for me at all. And I'm incredibly grateful um, for the A's, the way that they handled my transition to pitching, uh, the way that. Uh, I I worked with, with Garvin Alston all summer in 2011 in Arizona when I was uh, handling a, a wrist injury and um, shoot even just the, the growth I went through in the big leagues in 2012, you know, when I first got called up um, I wasn't allowed to pitch back to back games for like the first like month or so that I was in Oakland. And, And I look back on it now, the, the, and I think about maybe the the stress I might have added onto some of the other guys in the bullpen to pick up that slack. But, you know, by the end of the season, I pitched the last four games in a row, and um, that growth, um, the confidence that Bob Melvin showed in me um, really laid the groundwork for my entire career.
2: Yeah, and, and, and it was such a fun time because at one point the A's were like 13 and a half games back, and it was like, just reel in the Rangers, just get them there for that last series and sweep mm-hmm. that series. And it's the only time in the history of baseball. Think about this. The only time in the history of baseball where a team won the division and they never, they won the division and never led the division. Cause you didn't lead the division until that final out, the final <laughs> game one sixty two. It's crazy to think about.
9: It is. It's crazy to think about. And the way that we did it, um, that year in 2012, with the, all the walk-offs, I mean, I've never been a part of anything like that. Um, really, since then, there were there were a number of similarities uh, between that 2012 A's team and the 2019 Nationals team that went on to win the World Series. Um, the hole that both teams we kind of dug ourselves in the first half. I remember in 2012 we got back to 500. Um, the day before the all-star break, um, and with the nationals in 2019, um, that was like our goal. We, we were, we were so, um, we dug ourselves such a big hole in May, that that was kind of like an arbitrary goal that we had set for ourselves. Let's get back to 500 at the all-star break and then see what we can make happen in the second half. And, uh, we were, I think we were able to get maybe three or five games above 500 by the time we rolled into the break but the the way that momentum carried over to the second half, there were a lot of similarities there. We didn't, the nationals team last year, we didn't have the walk-offs. We didn't have the, a a lot of the drama um, and exciting, um, you know, come from behind wins that the 2012 A's team did, but there were so many similarities there where you get that feeling late in the game. Maybe it's the sixth or seventh inning and the game's kind of hanging in the balance and you're, I'm sitting down there in the bullpen, and, and everybody has the same feeling where you're like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off, but we're just I know we're going to find a way to, to, pull, to, to pull this game out. I know we're going to find a way to win. Um, and so the, there's a lot of similarities there that, uh, you know, Zeke and I talked about uh, quite a bit. So it was fun to kind of go through that again. But all those walk-offs, man, I've never been a part of anything like that.
2: You know, your teammate, Kurt Suzuki, and I go way back. I remember one of my favorite interviews with him was in Japan, and I know what it meant for him as a Japanese-American to play in Japan and how much the crowd loved him. And then, you know, a few years ago, he was with the Twins, and I was interviewing him in the uh, dugout, and he was talking about townie. I think this is it for me. I'm not going to play. Any-. And I'm like, are you going to coach? What are you going to do? And to think that. He's now still playing after that conversation. I'm like, wow, recently we just had – Chip because we're, we're covering every single team and we're, we're getting ready, you know, we're going through every single division and we went through the East and we had Chip Hale on, who, you know, been your coach for many years. I, I can tell you as A's, yeah, we hate the Astros, but more importantly, we were just rooting for you guys because you guys are Oakland A's. And Kurt Suzuki and Chip Hale and yourself, it was great to see you guys win the World Series – just, just looking back, I mean, how special! I mean, you're a World Series champion now.
9: Uh, I, it's so there's so many there's so many cool storylines about like how World Series championship um, that make it you know feel even more special than I ever could have imagined. And and one of those for me is is my connection with Duke. Um, you know, he caught my debut in 2012, and I, I worked with him so well early in my career and, and he was a big reason why he kept putting uh you know a number one down and he kept calling for the fastball and he's such a big reason why I was able to develop um some confidence early on in my career because hey if if you know Zook had a reputation at that time of being one of the, the better defensive catchers in the game and and he I saw him always the first one to the ballpark and he was doing so much preparation and putting together game plans and scouting reports. And he knew the opponents better than uh, anybody. And if he had the confidence in me to to continue putting the number one down, um, then I had a lot of confidence throwing it. And um, ultimately, you know, fast forward to 2019 and I'm sharing a, a, um, a bus with him during the world series parade going down constitution Avenue in DC. And um, you think about the, the 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 road that both of our careers have taken since the, that first time we worked together in 2012 and for yeah. us to come together again in D.C. and win a World Series and share a, uh, a bus in the parade. It's just it's incredible, man. You can't you can't script it. You can't make it up. Uh, but it definitely was one of those things that made it feel so incredibly meaningful and so special that was beyond anything that I ever could have imagined when it comes to the emotions of winning a world series.
2: You know, you're one of those guys that uh, you're a better person than you are a ball player. Cause all the things that you and your wife have done for people over the years, I say the same thing to Liam Hendricks, you know, some people, you know, they just want to make their communities better. And you're one of those guys. And I think being in DC, very interesting for you. How many like big time politicians, uh, celebrities do you run into when, when you know whether it's at the ballpark or beyond the ballpark playing in Washington D.C.
9: Um, not as many as I as I thought that there would be um, and the team so like the team kind of keeps that stuff or at least that part of D.C. very separate I think from the team um, and maybe gives the players um, it maybe gives the players some protection I think um from that. Uh you know, so like it wasn't like I thought it was gonna be, where like, you know, there's like there's not it's not like there's like congressmen on the field uh during batting practice, you know, like standing behind the cage and stuff like that. Um but there are some times where um you know they, they might say like, Hey, um, you know, so and so is here. Would you like a chance to meet them? And They'll take you to a, a another spot, uh, maybe it's a little more private and um, maybe give you some of that protection. But um, I got to meet um, one of the highlights for me. I got to meet Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, uh, later last season. I think it was in September. And that was that was really, really special to me. I got to meet John Lewis um, uh, from Georgia, um, civil rights civil rights icon. And, and that was really special. Um, you know, that there's also, there was also some really cool people I got to meet there in the world series run. Uh, we had Bill Nye at the stadium at Nats park. Um, he's DC native a Nats fan, which for me as a nerd was, uh, was really, really special. Um, Jose Andres, um, the celebrity chef that does a, he does so much in the community and he has a lot of ties to DC, uh, he threw out the first pitch before game five, and that it was really special to meet him. Um, Dave Bautista, which people might know from WWE or they might know him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he's a NAS fan, uh, DC native as well, um, and that was – so that was really cool. But, you know, that's it, – it, it, I don't know. It, it, it was um, World Series run. It's all part of the experience, so um, I was trying to soak it in and, and enjoy it as much as I could.
2: You know, I was just there in February. We did like this history tour with my twins. We went to the White House, the U.S. Capitol building. We did all the Smithsonian's. We went out to Mount Vernon, George Washington's house. It's just, it's DC is such a special area. It's and then we went up to Philadelphia and Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell, and then on to New York. But you know, just to, to learn all the history, it's like I always advise people, you need to go for yourself and you need to take your kids so you understand how this country was built.
9: I totally agree. And and there's – in D.C., um, before I had ever got traded over, my wife and I had rolled through there a couple times um, in the off season. Uh, we would be back on the East Coast um, a couple times. I We were either going to or from – a trip that led us to the university of Virginia and, uh, we stopped in DC for a couple of days. And I mean, the museums there are too free not to take advantage of. I mean,
1: yeah.
9: as a, like I said, I'm, I, I'm a nerd. I, I'm a history geek. Like I love that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's important if people get a chance to, to head there, check it out, um, the national mall and, and everything like that. But I would, I would encourage people to venture out beyond that. Um, my wife was the first to bring it to my attention. She said uh, once we got traded there in 2017 that uh, she really felt a lot of similarities between d c and uh, Oakland or um, you know the the bay in general um, the the pride that people have for their communities, uh, the way that they fight for their community um, the uh, the energy. And the creativity and the way that these people are investing in in their city and their neighborhoods, uh, trying to revive them and, and bring them back. There's a there's a lot of similarities there. So we fell into it. We fell into it seamlessly, and and uh, we've been very lucky.
2: You know, we had your wife on, on our program. She was becoming like a TV star in the Bay Area. Is she uh, she <laughs> she's still doing media?
9: No, no, the the closest thing that that we've had since um since coming over here to the to the Nationals and the organization um <laughs> we've and it, it's kind of a product of of the time that we're living in. We we started a fake talk show called It's Lit um where um uh, during the quarantine we the episodes have been uh posted on the Nationals Twitter and Instagram pages and um You know, initially, at the beginning of the season, the Nationals came to me and said, would you be interested in doing like a a video series about some of the books that you've been reading, Uh, given some reviews and some insights? And so I said, yeah, sure. And so like once the quarantine hit, they they asked me for to submit a video and (laughs) we came back with a with a talk show type situation where Aaron was peppering me with questions and we were riffing uh, and doing some some jokes and stuff like that, and I didn't. I don't know if that's what they signed up for, but that's what they got. And I've, we've been lucky that they've embraced it and continued to post the shows. So, um, you know, like I said, it's more of a product of the time that we've kind of found ourselves in.
2: You know, let's end on this. You guys, I guess, have decided as teammates that you don't want to do the ring ceremony, which is always one of the great things. I mean, you have this ring that you celebrate and World Series rings are just, they're the best that you guys don't want to do that celebration until fans can be a part of that. I think that's pretty cool Mm because I know, you know, baby shark and everything that you guys had, which was incredible, but your fans were such a big part of what you guys were able to accomplish.
9: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, um, I've talked to um, some for maybe former teammates, friends of mine, guys I've played with, that have won World Series themselves in the past, and they all said that um, the the World Series really crystallizes in your mind and and really comes into focus when you finally get the World Series ring. That's like the last thing. But the run through the playoffs and the World Series it, it happens so fast. Um, it, it's just it's so there's so many emotions and there's so much adrenaline that there's a lot going on and it takes a long time to sink in, um, after it's all done. And you, you know, you spend the off season try, trying to really come to grips with what it's like and what it means to be a world series champion. Um, for me, I had been a part of some really good teams, um, division winning teams that have won 95, 97 games, uh, that never made it unfortunately past the first round of the playoffs. And, For me, personally, I was starting to wonder if this was anything I would ever get close to. Um, And I was like, I just don't, there's so much that has to go right, that has to go your way. It's so hard to do. And for us as a team, uh, this was everybody on the team. This was their first World Series. This was their first ring. This was it. We were all going through this for the first time. The only other player uh, on the team that had a ring was, was Hunter Strickland. Um, and he, he wasn't on the active roster for the World Series. So everybody that was on the active roster for the World Series, this was their first ring. We had a couple of guys that had played in the World Series, but nobody had won it. Um, and I think the way that this team connected with the fan base in D.C., um, the way that the fans turned out for the World Series parade, uh, it wouldn't feel right to celebrate this one last time without them. So um, it'll be worth the wait when we do get those rings um it'll be it'll be worth the wait it's going to be a special celebration you know it's the first world series in nas history you know the organization is going to pull out all the stops and do it right so um it'll be worth the wait when we finally get to get to see them nobody's seen them nobody's seen the rings um the organization kind of kept it a secret they had uh, only a few people uh at the top of, of the organization that were working on the, the designs and that really had um, an idea of what they're going to look like. So it's going to be a a really cool surprise when we finally get to see it for the first time.
2: Well, as someone that can actually say, I've seen you from the start to watch you grow as a baseball (laughs) player uh, to watch you grow as a man and knowing everything that you and your wife do away from the field to, to make people's lives better. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan and it's great to have you on. And what we've been trying to do is bring on familiar voices because I think it, it helps heal people as we got a lot of A's and baseball fans listening here in Northern California. And obviously you're a familiar voice. Thank you for coming on. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you soon.
9: Thanks for having me, Tony. Um, I honestly, uh, I, I I say this uh, as genuinely as I could possibly say it, that I, I wouldn't be at this point in my career without um, the time that I spent in the athletics organization. So I always have a special place in my heart for the green and gold. And um, I, I continue to follow the team and um, you know, uh, I, like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on. I hope everybody out there in the Bay in California is staying safe and, and staying healthy. And hopefully we'll have uh, baseball for you guys at some point.
2: The Great Sean Doolittle. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns in Northern California. Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've watched this kid grow up. Yeah, i watched a lot of these guys grow up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you've watched one of these guys come up and and I do their first interview, like real interview, because when, when the writers just get around you and ask you questions, that's not an interview, like a real interview where you sit down with somebody for 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes. And I've done a lot of these guys first interviews, and it's great to watch them grow up as men. That's it. You know, that that's one thing that can be said about Billy Bean and David Forst. Everybody wants to think moneyball, everybody wants to think analytics and numbers. They don't want bad people in their clubhouse. Bad guys, bad dudes don't last. They get they get they get moved on. So yeah, they care about numbers and they care about the data. But if you're a bad guy and especially with Melvin as the manager, because Melvin, Melvin comes off as the nicest guy in the world, and he really is. But he can play hard nose, and he's not afraid to do it. And he's done it with guys. And by the way, those guys don't last. We had a couple of those guys not too long ago. How long did they last? Not very long. Alright, Cody, I have the schedule up in front of me. Oh, quickly, let's do some buying or selling.
1: It's time for buying or selling. So sell, sell right now with Chris Townsend on Ace Cast Live.
3: Well, you know, recently I've been starting buying or selling with a little bit of uh looking ahead what's coming up on Ace Cast. I'm gonna do that right now. Coming up next on AceCast will be the A's 36th win of the season in 2019 versus the Tampa Bay Rays on the road. Liam Hendricks gets the win on June 12th, and there's something special about this game because, believe it or not, you were a part of it.
2: Torino's come set. Chris Davis at third, the 1-2 pitch. It's going to be hit to shortstop, (laughs) and he can't pull the trigger. Adamas just can't pull the ball out of his glove and it's gonna be an infield base hit and the athletics will score the run. Sounds like Vince Gulley.
3: So that game, the A's go on the win. Laureano later on hit a grand slam, but you are on play-by-play for that game right after this on A's cast. Woof. The A's and Rays from Tampa Bay. It's you, Fossey, and Vince Catronio on the call.
2: Is that uh, the six to two victory?
3: Yeah, I think it was. Yes, it was
2: 6-2. My guy Fossey.
3: L'Oreal had had five RBIs in the game. That first run of the game driven in was right there that you called. So, a little looking back. What's going to Looking ahead, what's on AceCast? So, I want to do this because you and I were texting about this over the weekend. This will be the only one we'll probably get to today. NBC Sports California was showing games from the 2012 run versus the Texas Rangers. Now, I proceeded to text you about one player on that Rangers team. That'd be... Josh Hamilton. Hamilton was the first overall pick in 1999 by the Tampa Bay then Devil Rays out of high school. Now he didn't make his major league debut until he was 26 years old which was in 2007. He hit 19 home runs that year then he goes to Texas in 08 and from what I just looked at and was thinking he might have been the best player in the American League from 2008 to 2012. He hit 305 with 142 homers, 506 RBIs, a 912 OPS and a 137 OPS plus. He won a AL MVP title. He had a he led baseball war in 2010. He had a he was a five time all-star and won a batting title. Now his career was you know slow due to injuries and a lot of uh, misdoings off the diamond. Buying or selling, Josh Hamilton would have been a Hall of Fame player.
2: I'm totally buying. Addiction. Addiction did him in. And he got addicted to a lot of you know, whether it was alcohol or hardcore drugs. Like you said, I mean that guy, if he if he doesn't have these issues, he's up in his early twenties and he's as talented he's as talented as any of these young guys are today. I mean, he had it all. I mean they're comparing him to Mickey Mantle, for God's sakes. He had it all power, speed, and we finally got a glimpse of it. But it was never. It was never gonna. It, it was. It just. It could never fully blossom because of the addiction issues. But yes, if he didn't have those issues, I think there's no question we're looking at a guy with over 500 home runs. He's probably only got like over 1,500 RBI. I mean, he'd have these. He'd have these Hall of Fame stats. He'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think there's no question.
3: I agree, and he. For what he did those, those four, you know, five years in Texas, you know, he, he was okay in 2013, but I, and then he goes on to play with the Angels. But what he did in Texas was unbelievable. Now, yes, he dropped the ball in game 162 and everything like that in 2012. That's but he- the addiction. Like, he was addicted.
2: So, he's, he, he's not drinking alcohol. He's slamming, like, Monster, the Monster energy drink. And he drank so much of that. He's addicted. Everything he does, he's addicted to that his eyes were not getting water in them. They were dry. It's just the, his story. And from what I know, we only know of some of the times he relapsed. We have no, I mean, it was, i, I, I it's its a sad story.
3: It really was. And he, I mean, the race, remember the race still came, and then the next day they to Call Crawford. Those are the number one overall picks in back, back, back-to-back back years. Man, if the race could have got anything out of Josh Hamilton, they would have been a lot better, a lot faster than they really were. So,
2: all right, KBO starts tonight. Cross your fingers. We need we really need this to work. Korean baseball on ESPN at ten o'clock. Cody, congratulations to you. You you had, you did a fantastic job today.
3: We've been out, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of nice shows lately. Last week was a lot of fun, especially Friday, and then today with Costas and Doolittle and Mania and Dave O'Brien, even Hembo Hembo bringing it where you owned him in trivia once again.
2: Paul Emekides of ESPN, Bob Costas the legend, Dave O'Brien TV voice and face of the Red Sox Sean Manaya, and Sean Doolittle what a show. Thank you everybody for listening. Keep enjoying A's cast. We'll be back on Wednesday from 1 to 4. Be safe and have a great day.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.